This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, welcome back in. The opening kickoff is back, ladies and gentlemen, in the newly renovated WNSP studios. Man, it's pretty nice in here, I ain't going to lie. I hope you and yours had a happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. We appreciate you being back with us here on this Tuesday. We have a lot to get to. It's a little more spacious in here, mostly because Lee Stravanian is where all the action is all week right now welcome back lee how are you i'm doing wonderful mark trust you and nick had a wonderful memorial day three days off and we're back to it today even before you get to it i'm going to beat you to the punch yes i did spend some time in the hot tub yesterday at the marriott residence across from the sandestin hotel where the action's going to be starting today i will tell you this one of the reasons i like their hot tub is because it's very very hot but I'm not sure it's any hotter than Miami's free uh, three-point shooting, of which they hit 14 out of 28 yesterday and rolling past the Celtics in Boston, Boston's third loss at home in the Eastern Conference Finals. So Miami goes to the championship, and I'm not so sure, Mark, it's any hotter than what's going on on the scheduling format for the SEC. There's been so many conflicting reports and people are speculating. And maybe a couple of weeks ago, you and I maybe thought we're going to the nine-game, three-permanent format. Maybe we thought we'd see the eight-game, one-permanent now there's speculation, and of course, we won't know until the end of the week when the presidents vote, if in fact they do vote, that is there going to be, just go back to what we had in 2024 if they go to the regular eight-game uh, schedule. I really liked seeing Greg Sankey's, uh, I could tell he's a little bit frustrated when he said, look, I'm tired of circling the airport, it's time to land. I think that told pretty much the story from his standpoint. Yeah, I, I think the major detail here is simply the SEC wants more money from ESPN and their TV partners if they go to a nine-game conference schedule. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, Lee, from, from, a, from an ESPN perspective, I'm not sure I'm willing to give out more money based on your quality opponents. We have an agreement I'm going to air so many games. We never really talked about if I'm ESPN. I'm sitting in a room with SEC. I'm not really talking about who you're playing or which conference games you're playing as part of that deal. So um, it's it'd be one thing if you're playing more games that I, I can televise. But if we're sitting here talking about quality of opponents, I'm not sure that, that that's worthy of me giving you more money. Not only that, Mark, here's another point. Why would ESPN, with all the layoffs, and that's been talked about too, so they're going to pour more money into a ninth game, and here they are laying off hundreds of thousands of employees or however many the figure is, and we haven't even heard the last of that. So where's this money coming from? And I think that was one of the big issues with the nine-game schedule, getting more money for that ninth game because obviously they felt it would be more attractive for ESPN. But if, in fact, you're having money issues and ESPN can look at it and say, look, 
you've got your eight games anyway. Uh, we'll televise, you know, we're still going to televise the games, but we're not going to pour more money into it to see maybe uh, one of your teams play Vanderbilt or one of your teams play a team that's not doing so well. I understand both sides of it. I just understand, too, the, and I, I won't get a better picture of this until I hear Greg Sankey at his press conference, which is scheduled around 5 o'clock today, Mark, that if how frustrated he really is. He, he's been quoted as saying, privately he, he he knows what needs to be done but publicly uh, he, he's not the type to come out publicly and say anything until this whole thing is resolved but i gathered from the statements he's made he's getting a little frustrated much like he did remember back when in june of what two years ago when they came out with the 12-game format and then all of a sudden it became a big controversial issue and nothing was happening for a long time because sankey was a member of that committee that formulated the 12-team college playoff format so at least that's in the bag now they got to get the schedule and you know from the standpoint when i look at it is it really that difficult but apparently some schools want it and some don't well and i think the the more important thing is if you believe everything you read on this topic as of this morning i i you know for all the reasons that the sec lays out for eight game or nine game it all comes down to the same thing over and over and over again Money, right? I mean, we, 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 we pretend that, oh, this is great for the game. All the players should have an opportunity to play everybody in the league. Whatever your excuses are, it's easier to get to the college football playoff championship. It's harder to get to college football playoff championship. We want as many teams as we want in the college football playoff championship. None of that matters, Lee. It is all about how much money can we get off going to a nine game. If there's more money there, then we're for it. If we can't, there's really no point in it. So all these reasons that have been listed over however long we've been talking about the idea of a schedule change is really just banter for the media and for the fans. It comes down to dollar and cents like everything else in college athletics. I can't. I couldn't have said it any better than that. And it really, when I look and laugh at some of the reports, and there have been a lot of, lot written in the last two days, where some of the, let's say, higher ups, and I'm talking about the presidents, are are, are saying, well, we're not sure we want a nine-game schedule because we're worried about injuries. And then going into the college football playoff, come on now. It's all about the money. It's not about the injuries. Since when, if, if you're playing a game anyway, you could get hurt playing Boise State as opposed to playing an SEC school. That cannot be the deciding factor. I think what's going to be really interesting this week, Mark, and, and obviously Sankey wants a vote, whether it happens or not, I don't know. You know, remember last year was about personalities. This year it's about a major, major issue. And nothing will come out of this until the presidents come down here on Thursday. The first two days is reserved for coaches. Thursday and Friday it's about the presidents. Coaches leave. So I'm hoping by Friday there will be a vote and we will actually have an answer rather than to lead up to this for a full week and then nothing occur. So I hope it happens. Uh, you guys can jump up and jump in in the app at us, uh, WNSP.com. Give us your thoughts. Uh, I know most people are for nine game, but does anybody out there believe that ESPN ought to pony up more for us to get those nine games? Because I just find a hard, I have, uh, I find it, uh, I have a hard time believing or justifying going back to ESPN with, with, with that argument. For them to pony up more, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I, I think we're probably at a stalemate. Interestingly enough, Lee, I'd be curious, as to your point, as to why those that don't want a nine-game 
conference schedule, why they feel the way they do. Like, what are the advantages of eight over nine? Well, I mentioned, and again, I don't when when a when a president or an administrator comes out and says, "Hey, I'm I'm concerned about a ninth game SEC schedule leading to injuries." Well, I don't buy into it. I wonder if they really do. And and again, I, I think it falls back on the the money issue. And I don't unless it unless it means losing a home game, which would then of course fall under the category of money also. Uh, if you're not having as many home games as such. But the only other reasons that were given as far as reports coming out of various reporters is the fact that the concern over playing a ninth SEC game and maybe that leading to to more injuries on the field. And, you know, I get so sick and tired of reading about that because football is football. It's a violent game. No matter who you play, there's always the possibility of injuries. And then again, they're trying to look down the road and say, well, if we play nine games and then a week or two later you come back and then you go into that 12-team playoff. Well, guess what? That's also about the money, too. All right, so we'll be talking a lot about this throughout the course of our day today. Uh, it, uh, you guys can certainly jump in at 694-1055. we got a great show lined up for you. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking a lot about SEC spring meetings uh, coming up. I know Travis Ryrell joins at 7. We'll talk some Alabama and college baseball and softball. We'll get to some spring meeting stuff with him as well. But uh, Brandon Marcello will join us at 8.30 as well. Speaking of the NCAA tournament, the baseball is set, softball is set, uh, and uh, the state, as always, is well represented, Lee. You know, Mark, they really are. Uh, first of all, Alabama hosting for the first time since 06. Ten SEC schools are going to the NCAA baseball tournament, which opens up on Friday. Eight of the SEC schools are hosting, including Auburn, including Alabama. Alabama's a 16 seed. Auburn's a 13 seed. And you also have Troy going. You have Samford going. So there's two more schools from the state that are also involved. And uh, one will be going to Auburn. The other will be going to Alabama. For those that are going to be following this, Alabama will be opening up uh, this coming uh, Friday at home. And like I said, for the first time since 06, so it's been a long, long time. And as we look to, uh, you know, the other SEC schools, uh, six others are hosting. But as far as Alabama, they'll open up with Nichols State. They also have Troy and Boston College in the other game. With Auburn, they open up with the uh, Pennsylvania out of the Ivy League. you got Southern Miss and Samford. You mentioned the softball team. Down one game to none, Alabama rallied, and they're going to the World Series. Now, here's what I found interesting, Mark. There's only two SEC schools and I'm not including Oklahoma yet because they're the overall number one team. They're still in the, the Big 12. But did you see where they matched up Alabama and Tennessee in the first game, 11 a.m. this coming Thursday, matching up the two SEC schools? I found that a little bit odd. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, all right, so we're going to get to all of it. Uh, plenty, by the way, uh, something you brought up, too, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Will Farrell. Seems to be connected with a uh, John Madden movie. He could be playing the legendary coach. I want to get your thoughts on that moving forward. We'll do that in a little bit. Uh, and if it's not Will Ferrell, who out there should play John Madden? But it looks like Will Ferrell is in talks to play the legendary football coach. We'll get to that and, and plenty more. So I mentioned a couple of folks that are going to join us today. want to let you know also Bernie Carbo is going to join us at 630. Um, John Ricchetti at 730 will give us our Mill Light Golf Report. Gabe Gross 
former Auburn baseball and football player, now a coach with the baseball team, will join us to talk about the Auburn Regional. That's coming up at 8 o'clock. All right, we got some Chick-fil-A for you this, uh, this show as well. So let us get you a scoreboard, traffic, and weather. When we come back, we need to talk about the NBA Finals. They are set, and they went exactly the way everybody thought it would go, right? We've been off a while, so we got to talk about Game 6 and Game 7. But here we are. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee, Triple G. Two of us are in the studios of WNSP. It's SEC Spring Meetings Week. We'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Yeah, he was. 620, welcome in on this Tuesday edition. Hope you and yours had a great uh, extended weekend. The opening kickoff is back. Mark and Triple G in the studios. Lee on vacation. Excuse me. Working <laughs> in Destin for the SEC spring meetings. I think a little bit of both, Mark. I think you hit them both right there. Uh, this uh, coverage all week long brought to you by Dr. Christopher Mullinex, by Ward International Trucks, by LNS Air Conditioning, and by Rich's Car Wash. They have over 30 locations in the greater Mobile area. You go back to Saturday night, the incredible finish to the Celtics, and then I guess the mind thought was, well, look, it's going back to Boston. Boston never loses game sevens on their home court, even though Miami had beat them twice and yesterday mark i was disappointed watching this game it was so one-sided i mean it was over before it was over the way uh miami shot the ball jimmy butler he he actually uh, he guaranteed a win and they got it although he also guaranteed a win on saturday not so much a strong guarantee but he thought for sure they'd win so now it's miami and boy the uh the city of miami with the hockey team going to the stanley cup and now the basketball team going to the finals things are looking good well, it's not just as much. I mean, it's as much, yes, Miami hitting shots and hitting big shots, but Boston continued to struggle from uh, three, and essentially Miami was just daring them to try to beat them from three. They couldn't do it. Uh, they couldn't. I, I would have gone just the opposite. I would have gone to the rack if I'm struggling. I just felt like Boston just got outplayed. Uh, I, I don't remember. I think it was, it might have been Barkley. I I don't know if it was Barkley or Shaq, but whoever it was, I agreed with them. I still thought Boston was the more talented team, but I thought they got outcoached, and they certainly got outplayed. And, of course, I mean, would, would, would things have been different if, if Jason Tatum didn't get injured on, like, the very first play? Uh, you know, probably, but, uh, but Miami got some big shots uh, at big points, and, um, and Boston just had struggled from downtown. I was wondering, though, like, what – I know as a whole uh, – you know, Boston probably uh, a little more shell-shocked than, than Miami. But, man, talk about that Game 6 loss. For Miami to rebound from that, I thought was unbelievable. There you are as Miami Heat fans. You're, you're, you're at home, and, and you have a chance to close it out. And Boston wins with .1 second left. 
I mean, that's not easy to rebound from if you're the Heat, but they came back and took care of business. I can't, I mean, there you are. You bought game six tickets. You, you figure your guys are going to close it out. There's three seconds left. You got, they're celebrating the fact that their team is going to go to the NBA finals and to lose the way they lost. It's just got to be the most devastating. I mean, all you got to do is box out and the game is over. And it was just, it's got to be a, just a huge blow. But then to come back and go on the road to Boston and do what they did. Yeah, I tell you, I said I wanted that to be over, put both teams out of their misery, but but that was as, as entertaining a series as we've had so far. You know, Mark, when you look at the play on Saturday, the putback by Derek White, and that was about ready to go down in the annual's iconic Celtic plays, Havlicek stole the ball, or Bird stole the ball, or something like that. So it was right up there. And, and I'm with you. Uh, I, I thought it was all over after that. How does Miami recoup after that? But here's the thing. When you look back on this series, how in the world did Miami win three games on the Boston's home court? That just never happens. That can't happen. And it's true. I listened to Barkley before the game. Everybody. Boston's a much more talented team. Yes, Miami's got some fight in it, but when it comes to talent, it's all about Boston and if they play their game. And I think the only, well, not the only, but the major stat you look at, you already pointed it out, three-point shooting, Celtics 9 for 42, Miami 14 for 28. My thing is, okay, if you can't hit the three, why are you not trying to go more inside and beat Miami underneath? And, you know, I don't have an answer for it, and I don't know if their head coach has an answer for it. Yeah, I thought they did a really – I thought Miami did a really nice job uh, in that zone. Uh, we were talking about it at the break, Lee, but I thought Bam was – awful or in the paint from an offensive standpoint i guess he pulled down some boards or whatever uh and i don't know how much of the end of the game you you watch but boston started like full court pressing and it worked i, I kept why weren't they doing it the whole game i just it just didn't make any sense and bam was awful you want the ball in bam's hands uh if you're if you're denver because he's just atrocious against the full court press but look jimmy butler said it you mentioned it a year ago, they were in a very similar spot. He said we would be back in the spot again. It'll be different, and sure enough, uh, it was. So uh, they made him a profit, but a very, very uh, entertaining uh, series as a whole. Individual games weren't great, but the series was great. Great storylines. We finally made it to the NBA Finals, so here we are. You know, Game 6 was was the best, obviously. You come down to the wire. But Game 7, and, and I was really looking for a very competitive game, and certainly more so from Boston than Miami. I just can't figure out how you go back home after winning Game 6 with momentum on your side and the fact that Boston over the years has dominated Game 7s. I, I just don't get it how you could lay an egg like that and fall flat on your face and shoot so miserable. Because even with Tatum, you know, slightly banged up, but let's face it, most players – at this stage of the game have some sort of uh, you know injuries to deal with and so forth so I wonder now if Celtics are going to make a change with their coaching uh, with the head coach and so forth if they're going to make him the sacrificial lamb for this or not that remains to be seen so now you got a Miami Denver series and I think the uh, narrative is going to be too that Denver's the better team that's the way it looks to me right now when they start Thursday. All right, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. A uh, lot of feedback on the ninth game, eighth, eight game schedule versus the nine nine game schedule. Uh, Rod Rod was saying we all know a ninth game just means one more loss, which means less teams in the playoff, which means less money. Um, 
and then someone had suggested the whole world, not just college football, is about the money. No, there, there's. I, I agree with with your statements. My only point is, we sit here for what seemed like an for a year, maybe two years. Lee, I don't know. It all blends together now. We're talking about all the pros and all the cons of eight verse nine. And for them to go back to ESPN and be like, hey, we're going to nine. Our, our schedule is going to get tougher or the schedule is going to get better. We need more money. Just seems like, a, I don't know, a, a lack of good faith in the negotiating process to me. All right. As a fan, it's easy for me to sit back here as I am right now relaxing and say I favor the nine because better games. That's how I feel about it. I wasn't I'm not too concerned about the three permanent opponents, because, again, when it comes to Auburn and Alabama, the two teams we follow, you know, they're going to have better games. How do you feel about it, Mark? Do you, are you nine or eight? Uh, I am. I see. I look at it from different perspective. From a fan, I, from a fan's perspective, absolutely. I want nine. I think they're going to be better ball games. At least there'd be more interest. I might even not. I might not even say they'd be better games. I just think there would be more interest. Now, if I'm the commissioner, my question is, what's our best? What's our? What's the best way to get multiple teams in the college football playoff? And right now, and it has not been proven to me that an eight-game conference schedule would make it tougher for you to get to the playoffs and if i can still get as many teams to the college football playoff in an eight game than i can in a ninth game i'm staying with an eight game simply because it's easier so we'll we'll have to i mean we've the sec's never been docked or never been hurt because they only played eight my job as a commissioner is to get as many teams in there as possible and i will do that any way i can if that means eight great if it means nine so be it when we come back, Bernie Carbo is going to join us. Continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. The opening kickoff on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. High fly ball, deep right. Backing up Judge. He's on the track. He's at the wall. He leaps. And he makes the play. Oh, what a night for Aaron Judge. All right, 632. Just getting started here on a Tuesday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Triple G in the studios at WNSP. And Lee, let's talk a little baseball, even from Destin. What do you say? Let's do that. Uh, we're brought to you, by the way, our SEC coverage here at Sandestin for the SEC Spring Meetings by Dixie Supply, your metal roofing headquarters in the greater Mobile area, by the Keesler Federal Credit Union, by the Cart Doctor, and by Urology Associates. You deserve to be in expert hands. When you're talking baseball and you want to go to a camp, you deserve to be in the presence of great ball players like our guest, Bernie Carbo. Bernie, welcome to the opening kickoff on Tuesday. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Leah Mark. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. So when is the Bernie Carbo baseball camp at Spring Hill getting started, and do you still have openings? Yes, we have a lot of openings, uh, June 9th, 10th, and 11th. It's the father-son uh Building relationships through the greatest game of baseball and through the greatest story of Jesus. And uh, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We're in our uh, probably our 23rd or 24th year of Moss Track. John Hilliard and Judge Jay York uh, do a great job. And 
meet boss, uh, feeds us, and um, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to have a father-son relationship to play baseball, learn about hitting. I'm going to be teaching hitting. Uh, I learned from uh, Sam Musial, see the ball and hit it hard. And Ted Williams said, see the ball, get a good pitch and hit it hard. That's how simple they made it. So, Bernie, how can, let's say we have listeners at this point and they want to get involved in this. And I also want to know, what's the format? Do you, do you go out and teach or are you just playing games? Oh, we play games. We play uh, Friday night under the lights. We have pizza. We'll be doing batting practice, a little bit of infield, and I'll work with the kids in hitting. Uh, Saturday, we come out at uh, 9 o'clock and uh, play at 10. And then we have lunch at 12, play a couple, maybe another games. And 6 o'clock, we have a beautiful banquet. Sunday, we come out and uh, play another game. If the guys want to hang out and play another one, that'd be fine. But uh, it's a great time. You can go to BernieCarbo.com and pull, pull up the fantasy camp, and they'll give you all the information. And to add to this, Bernie used to do this camp at Hank Aaron Stadium, but obviously with that venue no longer available, so now you've moved it over to the very historic uh, Day and Galley Field over there at Spring Hill where Babe Ruth once played. Yeah, Babe Ruth. Can you imagine that? We're going to be walking on the field where Babe Ruth played. And I understand Ty Cobb played there, too, and a bunch of other guys that were unbelievable baseball players back in those days. And uh, to be able to walk in there and, and be able to play on that field is very exciting to me. Uh, it's a great opportunity for us to reach the community and have a lot of fun. And like I said, it's going to be a good time. Pray for the weather to be nice. It'll be hot. But uh Friday night under the lights. I always like playing under the lights. Bernie, a, a couple of other questions, and I'll let you go and look forward to having you down here uh, in just a couple of weeks. I was uh, visiting a friend the other day, and they had a bunch of autographed baseballs. I mean, more than I've ever seen anywhere at one place, and not with a collector, and obviously not with a collector. And I asked the individual, "Did you were these baseballs autographed in person? So it got me to thinking, obviously I got turned down for autographs in my youth, but as a baseball player, did you ever get turned down while in uniform asking another player for an autograph? Yes, many times. Many times you go to a professional baseball player, you played with him and played against them, and you ask them for autographs. One of the things I loved about my whole career, you could go over four, go out and sit at the corner, and the lights are still on, and all the fans would come by and you sign autographs. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I love signing autographs. I always have and I always will. It's a pleasure to be able somebody to ask you for an autograph. <laughs> it just blows your mind. And uh, I, I just love baseball. I love the kids. Uh, I love people. And I love to sign autographs. So, I, I, matter of fact, I just signed two pictures of me. I got a clinic to do today. Uh, Noah has a birthday. He's only going to be nine years old. And I work with his brother, Liam. So I'm always giving these kids autographs and whatever. Uh, I don't understand why uh, a professional asking another professional would not sign an autograph. I'm not asking you to give out any names. This is a serious issue. As you know, gambling has infiltrated college baseball. We had the firing of the Alabama coach. We had two firings in Cincinnati, kind of interconnected. They've identified the person who played, uh, placed the wagers that led to all of this controversy. And obviously in baseball, we only think of Pete Rose. But to your knowledge, when you were playing or even your travels, 
were other players gambling, but because of, for whatever reasons, they were never identified in Major League Baseball? Were there others just play side bets, things like that? Never playing. They played spades. They played hearts. They played pinochle. They played cards. And they played dominoes, whatever. And they bet a couple bucks here and there. But I'm never, never, never. I knew about Pete Rose betting on baseball. He went to the horse tracks and things like that. But uh, we not as, you know, today uh, it's, it makes me ill uh, to be able to watch sports and every from, from all the way up to professional football, baseball, whatever you want to do, it's betting on pitches or whatever, and then gambling, and they said, oh, if you have a problem with gambling, call it 1-800. <laughs> They're making so much money on gambling and all the sports that it makes me sick. It really makes me sick because now it infiltrates not only the players, the officials, the umpires, the referees, and everybody else. Trying to make a dollar, trying to make a dollar. And the thing about it, they're never going to take it all with them. You know, it's, it's a shame because what they've done is made, we've gone back to the to the early times of baseball, back when Cabone and all the mafia and everything had the, the uh, White Sox black scandal. It's happening today. How can you not turn it away from it? So for me, the worst thing that sports has ever done it's allowed gambling to come in and make money off of gambling. And when you're looking at Pete Rose, if this is the case, Pete Rose, Shoeless Joe Jackson belongs in the Hall of Fame. Bernie, many thanks for joining us. Hope to catch up with you down the road. Good luck with the uh, camp at Spring Hill. Uh, thank you, guys. Love you guys. Love Mobile. Can't wait to get there. Right. Bernie Carbo, longtime major leaguer, 12 years in the majors and still very active in uh, teaching and instructing. Mark, that individual, I, can't, I think it came out Friday, the person who waged the suspicious bets on that LSU-Alabama game, which led to Bohannon's firing, was identified as Eugene Nerf Jr. He has a son who's pitching for the Cincinnati Bearcats, and just recently, maybe I think it was last week, the Bearcats fired two individuals who are connected with the program, and I think there's a connection with it, but I don't have all the details on it. But this nerf has been connected to youth baseball in the Midwest uh, for, for many, many years, and it was he who placed the bets and somehow had that connection with Bohannon, which led to that ugly incident. By the way, did uh, did he just say that Trulis Joe Jackson should be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Do you think he should be in the Hall of Fame? You know, I haven't really given that much thought to Shoeless Joe Jackson, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, based on the movie, yes. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know much about the guy, except he was a great hitter and everything. And from what I do know, and it only comes from the movies and everything, was that he really was not involved in that uh, gambling scandal the uh, Black Sox scandal of, what, 1919 or whatever, when they had about seven or eight. I guess I haven't studied up enough on it to, to know what his role really was or wasn't. Um, I'm going to have to put that one on the back burner. I have said this before, though. The Hall of Fame is really not so much connect Like when they, when they suspended Pete Rose, okay, and I understood that, suspend him t entirely from baseball, 
but that's not so much connected with the Hall of Fame. His accomplishments belong in the Hall of Fame. I wouldn't have a problem with him being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'd have a problem with him being involved in baseball. Okie dokie. Uh, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. That's the number. And, of course, you can get us in the app at WNSP.com. Uh, I know you brought this up. we got a couple minutes here, so it, it's worth mentioning. Uh, Will Farrell Lee, up for the role of John Madden. What's your initial reaction to that? It kinda, I kind of, I kind of had to do a double take, but you know what, Mark? I've actually seen him in a couple of dramatic roles, of which I've actually liked better than some of his comedian roles. You know, you, I've already discussed some of the movies he's been in, which I could care less about, but I have actually watched him in a, a, a drama and so forth. And and I and I got to ask you because I'm not sure. It said he's up for the role. Is he it? I thought the first story I read was he is going to play Madden, but then it was kind of backed off and said he is. I I got the impression there were others being considered. I would not have a problem with Will Ferrell. I think he could handle it. Um, might have to put a few pounds on, I guess, right, to look like John Madden. But uh, if Madden always came across as a lot of charisma and everything. I, I think in the, looking back to some of his movies, I, I think Farrell, with a lot of study, could get it done. What do you think? Uh, yeah, but here's my thing is, I, I, not that I've gone to the theater to see Will Ferrell in a while, but when I want, when I see a Will Ferrell movie, I, I want it to be a comedy. I, 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 I want to go and laugh. Like, I don't, I don't go see Farrell or name your favorite comedian because he's going to take a turn for the dramatic. I, I I want funny. I want anarchy. I want slapstick. I, that's the kind of thing I want. So I don't I don't know I don't know who would be better out there to play the role of John Madden. But I can tell you that Will Ferrell is not the first one that comes to mind, right? It's kind of like Kevin James playing Sean Payton. That just doesn't really seem to work, right? Or Gary Busey playing uh, Bear Bryant. Yeah, <laughs> can't be any worse than that. I, I here's the thing I would go with. Maybe it'd be better to have an unknown, somebody you don't know that you can't characterize before the movie starts. In other words, you can't have an image. I, I get where you're coming from on Will Ferrell. You're looking for comedy. You're looking for you know quirkiness and things like that. Maybe it's better to get kind of an unknown, uh, somebody that's not well established, who maybe resembles John Madden and you know can carry the role. And maybe surround him, you know, with some other stars or something like that, because that's usually what uh, moves the, the meter when it comes to movies. I see your point on that, but see, I have seen—I've actually liked some of Will Ferrell's the few that I've seen, where he is strictly no comedy and more drama, and he's been okay. So, all right. So I guess that 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 really posed the question: Who are the what are the best and worst? Actors who played coaches, like obviously the Gary Busey thing is well remembered, I guess for all the wrong reasons, but best and worst coaching characters in movies, like who played the best ones, who played the worst ones? Because there have been yeah. there have been a ton, right? I mean, uh, you know, Al Pacino was in Any Given Sunday. He was completely, I mean, he was over the top for in a good way. Um, you know, there was the Bad News Bears and, and Morris Buttermaker and all those guys. And Gene Hackman played co a coach a couple times, once in basketball, once in football. I actually thought Normandale was great. Uh, replacements, I felt like he kind of mailed it in there. But we want to hear from you guys on this. This very difficult and hard 
hard tackling topic of a, of a Tuesday. That's what we want to hear from you about. How, about, right? how about Nolte and Chips? Ooh, was and Blue, Blue Chips. Chips. Yeah, he was pretty good, wasn't he? I thought he was all right. I'll tell you, the, the one of the worst for uh, an actor playing a baseball player, and this goes way before your time, William Bendix played Babe Ruth. Do you remember that one? I do not know, no. Okay, then we'll drop that one. I thought uh, <laughs> G- Gary Cooper playing Lou Gehrig was okay. So in, in many cases, Mark, they go for Hollywood. They go for the name to try to draw people to come out and pay, especially in this day and age. So. I don't have a problem with it until we see it. And then, of course, we can come back and laugh about it and say, what a dud that was. But maybe he'd be good. How about John Voight as uh, in Varsity Blues? Bud Kilmer, he was good in that. Gene Hackman, we mentioned Gene Hackman and uh, Voight, Al Pacino. Who else played a coach? Oh, uh, Ben Affleck played a coach in uh, – in, well, he was a recovering alcoholic, which was more – but he was a basketball coach. I don't – I don't know if there was enough there to determine whether or not he would have been a good coach. Um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Coach Carter. Remember they stripped him of his title when they went into the postseason? Affleck never got a chance to coach his team. (laughs) Remember that? See, I don't even remember that part. (laughs) Um, Tom Berenger, according to the app, played Bear in the TV movie. Uh, That was Junction Boys, right? No. What was the name of that one? Was it? Junk, I don't remember. I, just, I, re, I, I don't remember him playing Bear, but I think he did. The only one I remember is Busey. Or uh, no, he definitely played it because I actually saw Yeah, it was Junction Boys. That was the name of the movie. Um, no, I remember that one. I, yeah, it was okay. Uh, now, if, you, if you brought this up and we didn't know, and we were, for, they said, we're going to come out with a movie on John Madden, I don't think I would have thrown out the name of Will Ferrell. No, no. Someone said John Candy would have been a good one if he were still around. Yeah, that, he, that, that's a very good one. Exactly. How how about um, oh uh, Farley? Was it Farley? Chris Farley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, we're getting uh, Nick Nolte and Blue Chips. That's what it was. James Con in the program. He was good. Denzel Washington for Remember the Titans. Uh, they're probably more good examples of actors playing coaches than bad examples, right? I mean, I th- I think we've proven that in the very couple, three minutes here that, um, that we're talking about. Emilio Estevez, he was a hell of a hockey coach, I might say. So, yeah. He, we'll was, he was believable. Yeah. I mean, because he played. He played the game, right? He played the game, and I thought he was pretty good. I, I really did. I enjoyed those movies with him. Um, yeah, Kevin James, I think we'd all agree, was a bad example. Kevin Costner, did he play? Was he a coach? Player. He was definitely a player. But someone Don't had, remember him coaching. Yeah. Dennis Quaid kind of became a coach when any given Sunday as he Cap co- when he hey, got he, benched. Wait a minute. He played Ben Schwartzwalder in that Ernie ah, Davis movie. Ah, there you go. There yes. you go. Lee's got his finger on the on the pulse of pop culture there i like it all right you guys continue in the uh in the app at wnsp.com when we come back we'll visit with uh david green we'll wrap up hour number one lee in destin in preparation for the start of the sec spring meetings we spent a lot of time earlier and we'll get back to this whole new report about eight game versus nine game schedule i'll be honest as of last week i thought it was a foregone conclusion that uh the sec is going to nine 
Now, not so much. We'll get back to it uh, here in just a minute. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. number one here it's the opening kickoff lee you hear the music that can only mean one thing that's exactly what it means one of our sponsors for sec coverage here in sandestin which begins this morning at 10 o'clock hopefully we'll be hearing from some of the uh, coach football coaches with impromptu news conferences totally different than the sec media days not to confuse the two this is more issue oriented this week but I do want to thank Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm for coming across as one of our sponsors. And to that, we go to David Green from the uh, Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm. David, welcome to the show. Hope you had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Good morning. Yes, we- Good morning. How are you guys? Wonderful. Got a question for you. Is it me or do accidents pick up in the summer more so, let's say, than the winter and the spring? Well, I'll tell you, uh, you, you really have more accidents in the summer months. Uh, you've got more team drivers on the road. You've got more vacationers. And you have people that are actually operating their vehicles under the influence of alcohol. So you've got a lot more people on the roadway. Uh, you really need to pay attention, time your trips, leave earlier, leave later, uh, leave not, not during the peak times. I know we drove to Birmingham this weekend uh, to move Jay into his place up there, and uh, we left very early. But we still picked up a lot of traffic. So you really got to be careful uh, during June, July, and August. Really, really important to watch out what you're, uh, watch out for your surroundings. Do your cases pick up more so in June and July and August? Yeah, you know, um, I, I would say so. Um, generally, uh, you, you, you do see a, a pickup. Uh, we, uh, you know, fortunately, we kind of have a steady amount of business, but uh, there would possibly be an uptick in the number of cases we see but we do know that there are more statistically there are more accidents during the summer months um you know you've got really bad conditions um in in northern states you know during the winter months and that sort of thing but down south down here we we do see an uptick in traffic and so because of the, the uptick in traffic you're going to see an increase in cases unfortunately off the wall, off the wall type of question do you get any cases evolving from accidents because of our tunnel you know where sometimes there's big jam ups with maybe a truck hits the top but are, are just accidents in general because of the tunnel do you ever get cases like that you know as a matter of fact we do we've seen a number of those over the years um i'll tell you i'm not sure who's in charge of the the information um sign uh, driving into the tunnel if you've seen that or not but uh they're they're trying to uh, get people's attention to pay, you know, to slow down. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm thinking right now I do have a major case that happened in the tunnel. So yes, they they do happen, and folks just need to slow down and pay attention to what they're doing. You're so right about that, David. How can our listeners uh, reach you or a member of the Green and Phillips Injury Law Firm? Yeah, you can come by 51 North Florida Street here in Midtown Mobile. 
uh, or the Forbes building in Fourth uh, Avenue North in Birmingham, or go to GreenPhillips.com. Uh, we're always available at Green and Phillips to talk to you about your case. We always encourage folks to hire a local law firm. It doesn't have to always be Green and Phillips, but ask that firm, are you local? Are you a local law firm? That can make a big difference in your case. Talk to you next week, my friend. Thank you so much. God bless. Take care. Coverage from Sandestin also provided by Chick-fil-A, uh, T-Bachelor and Son Heating and Air Conditioning in business for 38 years. You know, Mark, it's been a long time. I don't know specifically how long since I've actually gone through that tunnel, but obviously to get to Sandestin, you know, I didn't have a helicopter. The station helicopter wasn't available, so I actually went through the tunnel yesterday, and obviously traffic slows down, but then you've got two, I'm guessing, one or two people that are blowing their horn in the tunnel, and I'm like, why? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, it's good, clean fun for the kids in the car so they can hear the yeah. echoing vibrations of the horn. That doesn't bother me. But here's my hot take. Yes, David Green, slow down. I agree. No, be careful. But I would argue if you don't slow down, if everybody goes the speed limit, then there would be fewer accidents. Everybody wants to pump the brake when they go through the tunnel. The, the road doesn't end, people. It keeps going. There's no stop signs or stop lights. Just keep going. It's going to work out for you. I promise. All right. Hour number two is on the way. We'll kick things off with Travis Ryer. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff right here on. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. Hour number two. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Hope you and yours had a happy and safe Memorial Day weekend. It is a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. I'm Mark Heim. I'm in the newly renovated studios of WNSP. Uh, Triple G and got to got to work over the weekend, man. It's a completely new studio. Uh, looks great. You know what? We need to take some pics. Maybe get it out there on social media. Tell everybody, show everybody what what's been going on over here. Uh, but Lee Shervanian, once again on vacation, <sighs> working from Destin for the SEC spring meetings, and that's where he joins us from right now. Hey, would you do me a favor? Send me a picture. I'd like to see what our studio looks like, if you don't mind. Oh, it's, right? it's very luxurious. I, I don't know if it's because of all the work Nick did or because you're not here, Lee. I can't, I can't really figure it out yet. I'm going to give it to Nick for the work that he did. I'm in the, well, I'd say my new studio, the Marriott Residence. I'm across the street from the Sandestin, where I'll be leaving to go at 9 o'clock to attend, hopefully, some impromptu news conferences. Hopefully, we'll hear from Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze. And if that's the case, we'll have audio this afternoon from the coaches and, of course, tomorrow morning. But right now, we want to hear from Travis Ryer. Travis Ryer from 24-7, BAM Online, because there's so much going on up there in Tuscaloosa. Travis, welcome to the opening kickoff this Tuesday. Trust you had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Let's start out. There's so much I want to get to. Let's start out with the uh, NCAA Regional Alabama, one of eight SEC schools to host, one of ten going to the tournament. This is the first time you guys are going to have a tournament up there in the regional since 06. What do you think about the field coming in? 
Yeah, it was interesting to see the seeding play out. We learned a few days earlier that Alabama would host. That didn't come as a surprise, especially after winning a couple of games in Hoover at the SEC tournament. But uh, that 16 seed seemed to maybe a few spots low, but a host spot nonetheless. And uh, should be a challenging regional, an interesting regional with Boston College coming down from the Northeast and then certainly more of the local flavor with Troy. And so um, you look big picture wise, which probably isn't the wisest thing to do when you uh, have a, a strength of field like Alabama's going to have in Tuscaloosa. There's a potential for a matchup with the number one overall seed in Wake Forest should Alabama push through um, this upcoming weekend. But certainly a lot of business for uh, this team to, to handle and take care of before you can look that far ahead. And team obviously playing with a lot of confidence right now. Really an amazing run, as we talked about in previous weeks, given the circumstances and uh, some veteran uh, presence certainly has helped. But Jason Jackson's done a tremendous job in the interim role. And here Alabama is playing home baseball in June. I don't believe I've ever can remember eight SEC schools getting host sites out of the 16. Is that a first? You know, I, I'm not. I, I would think it's up there if it isn't. Um, it, it certainly is a lot, no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think there were one or two that maybe were a surprise there at the end. South Carolina um, maybe sneaking in there and uh, Kentucky as well. But uh, good to see the, the strong representation within the state. Um with both Alabama and Auburn hosting, I uh, thought it was interesting when you look at the the state of South Carolina. I think it was Mark Etheridge of D1 Baseball who had this note that the state of South Carolina has three host sites and the state of Texas doesn't have one. So uh, it's just that kind of year. But it speaks again to the to the uh, the strength of the SEC right now, and in probably a lot of ways the almighty dollar because. The resources, um, everything you need to win, not just in football in the Southeastern Conference, but really in every sport uh, is there. And so uh, whether it's baseball or even if you look at softball, you you look at softball this time around, I guess there's, what, two SEC teams going to OKC? That seems a little light, you know, by by SEC standards. But any other league would would be thrilled with two teams. Speaking of that, why do you think they matched up Alabama and Tennessee in the opening game Thursday at 11 a.m.? Well, I think that was kind of how the seeding played out uh, initially with those two being in that 4-5 range. So, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think, uh, you know, it, it, it's entirely by accident either. Uh, I think there's probably also a, a, a preference to, to keep Oklahoma State and o, OU on sort of other sides of the bracket as well. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I think that was interesting. And, you know, that's a situation where, you know, Alabama dropped two of three in Knoxville in the regular season and then dropped a game, a uh, close game in the SEC tournament. So a uh, heck of a way to get things going out there in OKC. Travis Ryer joining us from BAM Online 24-7. By the way, one more question about the regional prediction. Is it very winnable for Alabama? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, I think Alabama, with the way it's playing uh, right now, can, can win in a lot of places against a lot of teams. So um, they have to feel confident. But, you know, at the same time, you got to get through that opening game and then see how that 2-3 matchup with Troy and BC plays out. And, 
um, you know, Alabama's pitching depth has, has been a very nice surprise in some ways, given some of the injuries that they had even before the season and then uh, throughout the season. So uh, really across that team, uh, I think they're feeling pretty good about their chances regardless of field. But, um, you know, it, it won't be easy, I don't think. You know, if you can get to Sunday with your pitching uh, or gain the, the the third the championship round, obviously with your pitching in a good place, I think they can move on. Before I let you go, I want to get your opinion on the big issue down here in Sandestin, which of course will be more magnified later when Greg Sankey talks to uh, the media, usually around five o'clock, five thirty. Which way do you think this is going to go? Nine games, eight games? Are they going to revert back to what they have now for at least 2024? There's been all kinds of speculation. Where do you see this thing going? Yeah, I always follow the money, and typically what the money wants is what we get. And, um, you know, I thought Ross Dellinger's report of Sports Illustrated was interesting here in the last day or so that um, that, that ESPN, I guess, really isn't, a, isn't in a position – uh, for 2024 to sort of dictate that there be nine games in SEC play. Uh, in other words, they're not paying additional funds for anything more than eight in the regular season. So uh, the incentive right now, it would seem, isn't there for the SEC to go to nine games because you know, there are obviously concerns in that regard, the additional loss that a team's going to incur when you go to nine and really, schedule imbalance is the concern for sure. Nine SEC games, you're going to have five uh, road games one year, four uh, home games, and then kind of flip that. How's that going to work? So it, it seems like just in terms of getting this new, I guess you could call it SEC, uh, on its feet, uh, might just be easier to stick with eight. It felt like for a long time it was a definite almost that the league was going to go to nine at least. Um, but for now, it's, it seems like it's, it's swaying or sticking more with uh, keeping the, the eight games. I would hope that when some of the coaches, not all of them, but some of the coaches who decide to come in to the auditorium today and speak, that will be a question that will be posed to each and every one of them. But then again, it always comes down to the presidents. They're the ones who vote on this later this week. So it's an interesting debate, and I'm not sure it will be resolved. By the end of the week, I hope it is, Travis, but I'm not sure it will be. Yeah, I mean, it's something that could carry on uh, for sure beyond Destin. And so uh, the, the talking point uh, for this offseason, certainly when you talk about the future of the league, is it starts with the scheduling format uh, for football moving ahead. So uh, it could be something that by the time everyone convenes, even in Nashville, uh, in early July, we're, we're still talking about. You know, you mentioned about softball, and, you know, in two years, Oklahoma will be coming in. They're their over, no, overall number one seed and, of course, the heavy favorite to win it all. Travis, how can our listeners follow you on uh, 24-7? Just go to BamaOnline.com or Alabama.247sports.com. Either way, will get you to us. Appreciate you joining us. We'll check in with you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Mark, before I do want to mention Kemco Metal Builder is one of our sponsors also. And then you heard what Travis had to say about this, the scheduling format. I'm going to tell you, I, I, don't, I may have a different opinion when I listen to the commissioner talk today. My feeling is that he was pushing for the nine games. Do you get that impression or am I 
out of bounds? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, I just I I'm floored by the fact that we're still talking about this. Uh, and I and look, Greg Sankey is always very careful about what he says and how he says things. Uh, in fact, I've never seen anybody that's so conscious about every word that comes out of his mouth. I just don't understand, and I I, it, I kind of side with ESPN here. If, if if anybody came to me and we had a deal, and then you try to change that deal simply because you're changing the opponents, not the number of games, but the opponents, I'd balk too. So I'm not sure what the end game. Well, I know what the end game is here. I'm just curious as to why we're, we're there's been so much reporting about eight versus nine that it really has never come up until this SI report that the SEC wanted more money from ESPN if we if they went to nine. Uh, I find that to be fascinating that that part of it, which is clearly a big part of it, is now just becoming part of the story. See, I first got wind of this, and, and I'm hoping Brandon Marcello uh, is available today at 8.30. I first got wind of this with his story, that there seemed to be a little bit of a debate, like some sided with the eight, some sided with the nine. And, of course, you know, money being an issue. But they brought up other things like the imbalance schedule, looking down the road to the 12-team format and so forth. And I guess it's because the meetings were going to take place that all of a sudden this stuff is coming out because I'm with you. Two, three weeks ago, I thought it was a, a done deal. Not definitely a done deal, but I thought it was pretty well a done deal that they were going to go nine. And we were debating who the three permanent opponents will be. We were having fun with that and going back and forth. Now, I'm not so sure this, the nine thing is going through at all. Yeah, so let, let's not – we just had this conversation with the NFL. This is not about player safety. Player safety uh, might be on the list of priorities, but it is a distant second from revenue and revenue distribution. So all this talk about adding a ninth conference game would be detrimental to player safety is absolute BS. This is all about money. ESPN is not contractually obligated to give the SEC more money for a ninth game. So let's not let's not pretend that this is the problem I have. Let's not have these officials sit here and give us BS reasons as to why uh, we're concerned about a ninth game. Does the ninth game here's what it should come down to. Does a ninth game help you get into the CFP playoff? The answer is no, I don't think so. I think the SEC has been able to get plenty of representation in the college football playoff with the, the current system until a college football playoff committee comes out and says, you know, University X from SEC didn't get in because they only played eight conference games. There's really no need to go to nine. Now, we can sit here and we can talk about the fan experience and how fans want better games, but the truth of the matter is fans are still buying season tickets for the for the upper echelon programs they're still get they're still buying tickets and filling stands right if you're good people are going to show up regardless of who you play yeah, i don't think else. one game's going to change that lee here's one thing to consider also if in fact as has been speculated they don't come to a decision and they, that may happen so then you go back to what is they're being done now the eight game schedule for 2024 when texas and oklahoma come in so what do you do? Do you stay with the two divisions? Do you how do you how does that rearrange with Texas and Oklahoma coming in? That's another issue too, because 
if they both come in, do they both go in the same and then move two teams out of maybe the west to the east? That's something to uh, think about also. So there's a lot of complications, and I think it makes this week very interesting, you know, because last year it was about uh, Saban and Fisher. And, of course, that was really downplayed during the week and really did not become an issue during the week because there was deniability all around the block. But there's no deniability about this. Uh, everybody's got an opinion on it. All right, so let's do this. Let's get you scoreboard traffic and weather. We're going to catch up with Dave McCrary over at LCM Motorcars. We want to hear from you guys on the 8 verse 9. And should ESPN have to pony up more money, is that a valid reason? To be a part of the discussion for 8 verse 9, the fact that, by the way, ESPN not contractually obligated to do it, but should they have to pay more? I guess what, what the SEC is arguing is for potentially a, a better product. We want to hear from you. And uh, Will Farrell connected to the John Madden project to star as the uh, legendary NFL coach. We're taking your uh, suggestions on that and who are the best and worst fictitious coaches of all time give us the best actors and the worst actors that played coaches we want to hear from you it's the opening kickoff here we are on a tuesday edition stay with us plenty left on the sports station wnsp this is andrew Zhao, alabama former quarterback you're listening to wnsp 105.5 Opening kickoff continues on WNSP, and it's time to highlight the cars of the week with David McCrary at LCM Motor Cars in Theodore. David McCrary, LCM Motor Cars, LCMMotorCars.com joins us here on WNSP, and I think the word of the day, David, has got to be options, as in that's what you have when you come to see you guys at LCM Motor Cars. We're trying to get more every day. Um, right now, we got 75 units on the ground. Uh, one's a boat, one's a golf cart limo, but 22 of them are trucks. Um, so we've got a um, we got a selection for everybody. I mean, no matter what you're looking for, we've got it. And if for some reason we don't have what you're looking for, we'll find it. Uh, I like to tell people too, you're a one-stop shop, man. You can do everything right then and there, including financing. We've got all the financing in stock um, in the house. Uh, you don't have to go anywhere. We've got warranties. Uh, we've got the gap insurance. Anything you need, we've got it in-house. You don't have to go shopping anywhere. You, you can come see us, and we will um, make it happen for you. And, of course, uh, they can do a little homework, too. They can always go online to lcmmotorcars.com and, and get a pretty good idea of what's on the lot before they even come out and see you. They can. Uh, right now, we're going to be working on pictures this morning because we bought a lot of inventory in the last week. So we'll be working on pictures today. But if you go online, even if it doesn't have a picture, it'll tell you what it is, how many miles it's got on it, and what color it is. You can still pull a Carfax and anything else you need. All right, so tell folks when's the best time to come see you guys, Aaron, that we're right on the cusp of summer, and uh, where you guys are located. We're going to be there 8 to 6, Monday through Friday, 9 to 2 on Saturday. Uh, we're at Highway 90 and Plantation in Theodore. It's one mile south of I-10, exit 15A. Or give us a call, 251-375-0068. Thank you, David, man. Have a great one. We'll be in touch. All right, buddy. Have a good day. Yep, that's David McCurry, LCM Motorcars, lcmmotorcars.com. Uh, a reminder, if they don't have what you're looking for, he can he can find it for you and get it on the lot. It's uh, it's pretty impressive, actually. they got a great setup over there. We highly encourage you to go over there and check it out uh, if you're in the uh, market for a car, you, new or used, uh, for that matter. All right, you guys can... Uh, Jump in. 694-1055 is the number. Uh, hit the app here for you guys. Um, 
A lot of votes for Tom Hanks, a league of their own. We've been talking about coaches in movies because now Will Ferrell is is connected to the John Madden bi uh, movie. So we're talking about Tom Hanks now. Um, Buttermaker from Bad News Bears is always going to get some votes because I think most people can probably <laughs> relate to him in some form or fashionly. But uh, Hackman, Russell, and Washington all getting uh, all getting nods as best coaches in the movies. Again, when I first saw this, it just didn't click. Uh, Farrell and John Madden. But then again, the more I thought about it, having seen him in some dramatic roles before where he's very low-key. He, he doesn't come across as, uh, and, as some of these characters like in Talladega, uh, you know, a, a crazy guy and, you know, in his basketball movie. So, you know, you, you know, these actors have a way of getting it done. And I know there's name value in putting somebody like him in there. Maybe it means more at the box office and so forth. I think sometimes it's better to go with an unknown somebody you don't know and you can't formulate an opinion on going into the movie because as you pointed out when you think of Will Ferrell you think of comedy and you know John Madden to many was kind of funny the way he used to broadcast but as far as his coaching that was a different story you know he's very boisterous on the sideline very charismatic and so forth and it's not to say Farrell can't do that now he's a big fan of Southern Cal so he, he's certainly familiar with football he goes to games and things like that but I, I don't have a problem with it until you see the movie and, and hope uh, it, it's it's done well and I, I don't know I'm not sure. Is this an Amazon movie? Yeah, Did it, I see that? it is indeed an Amazon That's movie. Good. In fact, let's that uh, get it. let's take a uh, let's take a phone call at six nine four one zero five five. Go ahead, caller. Welcome to the opening kickoff. Hey, for the coaches, Mark, give me uh, for the fictitious coach. I'll take Ted Lasso. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, sir, baby. Yes, sir. Okay. For the real life coach, uh, if he was depicted the way he really was in life, I'll take Norman Dell and Hoosiers. Uh, now, a couple things real quick. Uh, I think they're going to stay at eight games, and here's the reason why. Uh, uh, Travis touched on it. If you go to the nine, you're losing a home game every other year. And who wants to hear Kirby Smart whine any more than he already does about having to play Florida and Jacksonville? Can you imagine how much he'll be crying and whining if he actually loses two home games and how much it will hurt his recruiting? Because he doesn't have those opportunities, Chuck. Now let me let me ask you. Yeah. Uh, actually, give us a call back here in a little bit because we're running out of time okay. here. We want to give you enough okay. as much time as possible. We appreciate okay. it. When we come back, uh, we'll do our middle light golf report. We also have some Chick Fil A in this hour. Lee's and Destin for the SEC spring meetings. I'm in the studios of WNSP. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station. Stay with us. Opening kickoff, Mark and Lee. Uh, I'm in the studios of WNSP. Lee is in uh, Destin. And uh, Lee, it's now time for our Millite Golf Report. Johnny Ricchetti, front and center. Good morning, Johnny. How are you this morning? Uh, I'm doing doing well, guys. Doing well. Just trying to get back to uh, 
Mobile, but uh, all in all, it's a great Memorial weekend. I know they played golf this weekend on the PJ Tour, and I really thought that this was going to be Robbie Shelton's weekend. He was sitting in tied for third after 36 holes at seven under par, uh, but just did not have a very good weekend. Ended up tied for 29th. But the tournament was won by Emilio Grillo. We won a playoff on the second hole. That's his first win in eight years. So congratulations to Emilio Grillo, a really good guy, the Argentinian uh, player that's really well respected by all his players on the PGA Tour. Harold Varner III wins on the Live Tour, his first win in the United States. Of all the years he's been playing professional golf on the PGA Tour, he picked up his first Live win this weekend in uh, just outside Washington, D.C. Steve Sicker is your winner of the Senior PGA Tour uh, PGA Championship this weekend as he continues his domination on the Champions Tour. We'll be on the air tonight live at 6 o'clock from Ruth Chris Steakhouse with a complete recap of the world of golf and also as the PGA Tour moves to Jack's Tournament, the memorial event this week in Columbus, Ohio at Merkel Village, an elevated event. So should be a great show tonight at 6 o'clock live from Ruth Chris Steakhouse. Safe travels, Johnny, and appreciate you joining us uh, this this week. Uh, coverage of SEC spring meetings provided by Spa and Tub Manufacturers, your pool and swim spa connection by Greer's Mark and Cash Saver. And, of course, uh, we often talk about the rooftop down there at St. Louis Street. Many thanks to Dr. Christopher Mullinex and also Ward International Trucks. Mark, one more point on, on Sean Farrell. Uh, well, uh, and the Madden uh, connection. I don't, it wouldn't matter to me. It wouldn't matter to me who was playing John Madden. I would just tune in anyway. Now, I'd make an evaluation afterwards whether I liked it or not, and it, it falls back to that movie you and I panned a week ago. We were, I wouldn't say excited, excited, but looking forward to White Man Can't Jump, and neither of us really liked the movie. So <laughs> until you. Until you really get a chance to watch it, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't. I can't give you titles, but a lot of times, I'll I'll put something on. We were watching. Um, I won't name the title, but uh, my wife and I were watching a movie about a week ago, and uh, in the first ten minutes, we looked at each other like, "You still want to watch this?" Eh, no, pretty boring. So we turned it off. So we have that option. It's not like we're at a movie theater and we can just walk out after paying big bucks. You know, we have the option. I would watch a Madden movie just because I I, I really enjoyed uh, what he did on the field and off the field. By the way, uh, I will say this because we you're right. We we did not like the remake of White Men Can't Jump. But I it for me, it wasn't because of Jack Harlow. I, I thought he actually did. I know people kind of kind of panned him for his performance, but I actually thought he was okay. I mean, he is what he is. I didn't I didn't think that was a terrible performance by him. But we've been asking you guys with Will Ferrell be conne being connected to the John Madden uh, movie that's coming out on Amazon at some point, who were the best and worst fictitious coaches in movies? And you guys have uh, responded as as I figured you would. The other the other sports related topic we've been talking about is this eight versus nine game conference schedule. It was just a kind of a foregone conclusion, Lee, that that nine was going to happen. And now, after the reports of the last, I don't know, twenty four hours or so, it seems like it's less likely to happen. In fact, I think it's more likely that we see eight games in the twenty twenty four season. 
Well, the phrase that I quoted, uh, Craig Sankey, I'm tired of circling the airport. We need to land. We're the top conference, and we're not getting anywhere with this. So that's what I'm anxious to see. Greg Sankey does a lot behind the scenes, and publicly he doesn't come out and say what he favors right now, although privately I believe, I'm guessing, total guess, that he is rooting for the nine-conference uh, season. But it's going to be interesting to see what he can accomplish because I'll go back a couple of years when they had the uh, the college football playoff and they were looking to expand, and he was, uh, I guess, one of the three or four members of that committee behind closed doors that came out with the idea of the 12-team conference. And I remember his press conferences afterwards. He was pretty – you could tell. He doesn't, he doesn't come out and scream and holler. It's very low-key. But you tell he was very frustrated. They spent a lot of time on that, and they were and they were able to push what they wanted. So it, this is what I think is going to be fascinating, Mark. Whereas you're getting a lot of opposition to a nine-game conference uh, season for 2024 and then beyond. Doesn't mean it has to be by 2024. It's going to be interesting to see how he pulls the strings because there's a lot of closed-door meetings this week. We don't get we. I'm not a fly on the wall. I don't get to hear it. Maybe some of the reporters can get some of the inside, and of course we can report on that. But there's going to be a lot of closed-door meetings, and it goes way beyond the coaches. It'll be when the presidents, chancellors, whoever, whoever has a vote, they come in here on Thursday and Friday. So perhaps on Friday, maybe even on Thursday, uh, we may get a decision. And I tell you, I'm not putting anything past the commissioner. He seems to get things done. You can say what you want. You can speculate all you want. And uh, in, in, apparently some of the reporters met with him in, in Sandestin yesterday. It is very impromptu. And, you know, they come away feeling that this thing is way up in the air. But I tell you, I wouldn't put anything past Sankey uh, getting things done. So here, let, let's back up a, qu- uh, a second. How many of you guys today believe that a nine-game schedule uh, or a nine-game conference schedule will enhance the SEC's opportunities for college football playoff? And and is that answer different based on the model for the college football playoff, meaning from whether it's four or 12? Because, again, and I'll reiterate what I've said for a long time now, until a playoff committee comes out and tells me that an SEC school didn't get in because they're not playing a tough enough schedule or they don't have enough conference games, I think I think you're making things more difficult for yourself by by scheduling a ninth game. Now, that ninth game isn't always going to be more difficult, right? Maybe one year, maybe it's Vanderbilt, maybe it's I don't know, Mississippi State. I, Every, everybody's everybody's example is going to be a little different. Everybody's perspective is going to be a little different. But I think the ultimate goal for the SEC commissioner and SEC institutions, quite frankly, is what puts us in the best position to get multiple teams in the playoffs. And okay, a distant, but a distant second is fan experience. We want better games. There's always going to be people buying season tickets at Alabama and Auburn and Georgia and Florida and Tennessee and all of that, right? They will bite the bullet on the one game if it means they will have season tickets to all the big games or on that extra game, rather. I I just, I I think we put too much into that hole. They want a better experience. Um, I think the ultimate goal is, because we talked about it earlier, it's all about money. If you can get more teams in the college football playoff, that results in more money. And what is the sticking point of the eight versus nine right now? They want more money from ESPN. 
See, here's where I disagree a little bit. Uh, first of all, you have other conferences playing nine-game schedules, all right? You got the Big Ten. You got the Pac-12. I, I don't remember the ACC does or not. I don't have it in front of me. But you have others. And that's been one of the criticisms of the SEC from outside, the fact that they only play eight games. Now, you go to 16 teams, you're only playing half your games against the conference. I have a problem with that, number one. I don't think it's that big of a deal until it's proven because I think in the 12-team format, you're going to get no less than three, maybe even four. I mean, we look around, look at the teams like in baseball, uh, eight teams hosting, 10 going, uh, basketball, you know, they're, they're on the rise also as far as going to the NCAA tournament. I can't see any less than three and maybe as much as four, and I wouldn't be surprised one year if you get five SEC schools getting into a 12-team format. So I'm I'm not convinced, unless it plays out that way, that we find out Georgia didn't get in because they played a ninth game. Then, you know, then I'll eat my words or something like that. But one of the criticisms, again, reiterating the fact that when you get to 16 teams, you're only playing eight games against the conference. You're only playing half your games against the conference. I think I'd have a problem with that. I, I get it. I, I but you know, I don't I don't I don't need the to me the whole everybody else is doing it perspective of it doesn't bother me. Like you're the SEC. You're the you're you're leading the way. It doesn't matter what other people are doing. You do what you do and they will ultimately follow you because you're the SEC. So I wouldn't let the fact that other conferences are playing nine conference games factor into my decision as to whether or not it's best for my conference. Right now, you're the best conference in college football, hands down. You do what's best for you, and if that means playing eight games and still getting to the college football playoff, then so be it. Because, I, and I said this before, if, if I'm ESPN, I'm not giving you more money. I'm not contractually obligated to give you more money uh, because you're you're changing who you play inside the number of games that I that I that I agreed to, to broadcast for you or the number of games you you agreed to play that that that's not a good reason for me to give you more money I I, I, I in fact I I'd laugh I'd if it were anybody else well, we would we would be laughing at this well here's another thing too mark you mentioned about the 12 team uh, format which goes into effect in two years so when the committee sits down you look at some of the SEC schedules non-conference it's very weak uh, Auburn in particular Georgia they come to mind so if you're playing nine conference games that would be less of a, a chance of being considered well they're playing a very weak schedule uh, it just so happens that with Georgia this year and with Auburn they're not very let's say conducive to eyeball watching and you know big time games and, and, and things like that so if you go to nine your, your chances of having a schedule that's favorable in the eyes of the uh, committee that uh, puts the teams into the playoff yeah they're playing nine conference games and it's a little bit tougher schedule and uh, the strength of schedule might weigh into it again total speculation on my part I'm looking at you know from all the different angles how this thing could play out that's why I think Greg Sankey I think is favoring the nine games so we'll see right but but to your point though there there hasn't been an instance that I can remember in the college football playoff and maybe maybe there has been one of you guys need to jump in and let me know at 694-1055 has there been an instance where the committee has come out and said this SEC team didn't get in because their schedule isn't tough enough I mean we we were we've 
We've heard people mock Georgia's non-conference this year. We've heard people mock Alabama's non-conference over the last few years. It doesn't matter. They're still getting in, and that's kind of my point, right? People can, can scream and yell about how weak the conference is, but at the end of the day, unless those people are on the college football playoff committee and keep those teams out, there's no reason to schedule harder. Why would you make life tougher for yourself to get into the college football playoff if you can still get in with the schedule that you have now? And, and well, I'm not, well, I'm not really referring so much to Alabama and Georgia, but let's say Mississippi State, for instance. Okay, maybe they're on the verge of getting in or not getting in, or maybe Ole Miss or or a school like Arkansas, and maybe the fact that they played a, a nine-game schedule could work to their advantage. I'm just throwing out schools that are not in contention every year because once you get to 12 games, that obviously opens up a lot more opportunities. Now there have been teams that have been left out not from the SEC, but from other conferences because of strength of schedule, namely the Big 12. So it's out there. And, and again, with when you go to 12 teams, I'm not worried about the SEC getting a few teams in there no matter who they play. All right, we're going to take a call here, but let me say this about that. I, in, in, in the situation where you mentioned like Arkansas and Mississippi State, I think it is to their uh, interest to stay at eight because if you could run the table at eight, in this current climate, you'd still have to have beaten Alabama, Auburn, LSU, or whatever, and those are going to be series high-quality wins and somebody from the East. So I don't. I, I think adding a game would, would, would make it uh, less likely that they get through that schedule, and I think you've built up a lot of credibility with voters because of those high-quality wins. Why would you want to add another one, another chance for them to lose? And if they lost that one game, they would burn through that currency of all those quality wins by adding that extra game. Let's take a phone call, 694-1055. Go ahead, caller. Welcome to WNSP. Okay, Mark. So based on your logic, then the team that Alabama fielded in 2020 that played an all-SEC schedule, it's even more impressive that they won every game than it uh, yeah, I th- I, yeah, I think that's well-established. Okay. All right. Now... <laughs> Let's go back to this. They, they seem to change things, even as much as they deny it. It's like, uh, let's just take the SEC, uh, the, the seating in the NCAA tournament. John Cohen's the chairman. They said they were going by RPI. Fifteen of the top 16 RPI schools are hosting. The only one who is not is the 15th rated RPI, and that was Campbell College. Campbell College was replaced by who? The 19th highest RPI school, which was Auburn. And not only did they come in at 15 or 16, Auburn came in at 13. So let's look at their resume. Well, you know, how'd they do? Alabama's at 16. Well, they played Auburn four times. They beat them three. They have more total wins than Auburn does. And they uh, they went further in the SEC tournament than Auburn did. Yet Auburn, unexplicably, is hosting, and they're the 13th seed. Yet John Cohen, who, by the way, athletic director for Auburn, stands up and says, yeah, we went by RPI and blah, 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 and this kind of stuff. Uh, Something's fishy going on there, and I think it'll happen the same thing in football. Uh, you know, you, you asked a question earlier. I think you got to go back to B, BCS. Remember the year that both uh, – Baylor and TCU felt like they got snubbed, and they would tell you that uh, it was because of their strength of schedule. Yeah. So, anyway, that's all I got. Y'all have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Chuck. 
All right, let's do this. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, I think Lee's got some Chick-fil-A for you coming up next. We'll also take your phone call, 694-1055. Uh, hour number three, uh, we'll continue to talk about SEC spring meetings as they get started. Uh, but we'll also talk to Gabe Gross on Auburn's Baseball Regional. That'll be at 8 o'clock. Brandon Marcello on the spring meetings at 8.30. But up next, a chance for you to win a little Chick-fil-A to start off your week which starts a day later, which I'm perfectly fine with. It's a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, 7.52, here we are, wrapping up our number two on this Tuesday edition. Lee, here it is, the chance for our listeners to get a little Chick-fil-A to start off their week. Inexplicably, the Boston Celtics laid an egg on their home court yesterday in trying to become the first NBA team ever to bounce back from a 3-0 deficit in the best four out of seven. It's never happened, but it has happened in other of the major professional sports. Name the last professional team that was able to come down from 3-0 to win the series four games to three. And again, that could be in baseball and hockey or whatever sport uh, you can find that goes best four out of seven. Uh, Those are the only two that come to mind anyway. So obviously it's never happened in the NBA, but name the last team that was able to bounce back from a 3-0 deficit as the Celtics tried to do last night, but were unable to do it against the Miami Heat. Uh, speaking of, uh, for those of you that watched last night, I think inexplicable is a good word. Boston just couldn't throw it in the ocean if they were standing on a boat, man. And Miami went to that zone and forced them to shoot from outside and it played right into the, their, their hands. It was, it was as, as entertaining as that series as a whole was last night's game was pretty much a dud. It really was. And what really, okay. So and it was pretty obvious they couldn't hit a three. I mean, nine out of 42 is just ridiculous. So the middle appeared to be open to me, and the ball went into the middle a lot to Horford. So don't you devise a coach, make adjustments, and change the the overall game plan and and drive to the basket? And I know they did. I mean, Jalen Brown made a lot of drives to the basket. But if you're not hitting a three, maybe suggest we go a little more inside just to maybe even get go to the foul line and so forth. But um, it seemed like whenever the Celtics answered, Miami had a double answer and come back and fire in a three. They were like 14 out of 28. Now, I could better understand this if this was being played at Miami. The players used to the environment, used to the baskets, things like that. But to go to Boston and win three out of the four games up there, when I say inexplicable, I mean, think about the Celtics, the tradition. And, Mark, I go back a lot further than you do, of course, with the Russell years. And then you, you, you venture into the Dave Cowan year or two. And then you venture into the Larry Bird years. They never lost game sevens at home. Yeah. Ever. So a couple things that I thought were interesting. One, there were reports that Miami chartered their flight from Boston to Denver, not Miami, uh, prior to the game starting. They had made their plane reservations. They were going to Denver. So talk about it being awkward had they lost. So 
They clearly were pretty confident they were going to get this done. One. Two, also, the irony was not lost on the inside the NBA staff uh, last night when they were giving out the awards, um, which, of course, were named after a couple of Boston Celtics, including the Larry Bird Award, as they're sitting there in Boston's at a Boston's home court giving these trophies away to Miami Heat players. I thought it was uh, uh, was rich, to say the least. I didn't catch. What is the Larry Bird? I think it's the uh, MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals is the Larry Bird Award. So um, that went to Butler, right? Uh, yeah, although I think you could make a, a strong case that he probably wasn't their best player um, last night, right? I mean, as good as he was. Yeah, I agree. I think the Martin kid was. Yeah, I mean, he was. he was the difference in the game. I just, again, I, I, I sit here and I watched it last night and I couldn't believe what I was seeing because the Celtics look like the inferior team and they're playing at home and everybody was ballyhooing the fact that they were the better team. Your buddy there, Charles Barkley, was saying that, you know, before the game, yeah, the Celtics are the better team. Everybody was predicting except Jimmy Butler that um, the Celtics would win. By the way, I didn't have a problem with them uh, booking to Denver. Denver's a nice city, Mark, <laughs> even if you don't go there to play basketball. I've been there. That's one of my favorite cities, especially when it's warm climate. Yeah, but, but typically you got to have a reason to go out yeah. there. Are you just going out there to hang out? Well, here's the deal on a charter. I don't know. I don't know the circumstances on charters. I know, that, you know, how far in advance you have to. I mean, do you wait to the last minute? I mean, are they booked? Um, I, I think sometimes you have to plan ahead no matter what. It's like, how about this? Did the Celtics have champagne on ice waiting for them? No, in we, the game? that happens a lot, too. Yeah, well, I always like, uh, by the way, for those that are wondering, so the Larry Bird Trophy is the Eastern Conference Finals MVP trophy. The Bob Cousy Trophy is for the Eastern Conference Championship. So that's the team trophy. So the Heat in Boston getting both the Bob Cousy and the Larry Bird Trophies that, that's that's a tough pill for Boston Celtic fans to swallow, no oh, doubt. But I always I always like those camera shots when they show in close games of that that game seven or whatever it is, where you, they show the staff moving the champagne or whatever the celebration from one locker room to the other one. It doesn't happen very often, but it's compelling TV to watch them actually do that. Okay, here's one for you. So in Blue Chips, who played the athletic director of the? school of which uh, Nick Nolte was the uh, coach. Bob Cousy. Right. And that, that when you brought up Cousy's name, that's the first thing that came to mind. So uh, you remember because they, uh, they were shooting, he came to go talk to him on the basketball floor, and Nick Nolte was rebounding for Cousy in that scene, and he didn't miss a single free throw in that whole conversation. I, yeah, Cousy was... I, for those who don't know, I mean, you go back to the 50s, one of, one of the great ball handlers of all time. I mean, bar none. He was right up there when it came to ball handling. He was kind of like a globetrotter on the on the Celtics and, and so forth. Now, of course, the Celtics weren't relevant until Bill Russell came to add the inside presence. But anyway, I'm getting way ahead of myself. But that the whole point is I can just imagine how Celtic players, forget the fans, how Celtic players felt about seeing their team embarrassed on the home floor in a Game 7. But is that more devastating than Game 6 and being a Miami fan and losing the way that they lost that game with .1 second left? Uh, I think it is. I think the um, on the game six, that would be more demoralizing. Yeah. 
which by the way is makes what the heat did last night even more impressive because it would have been easy just to be like ah oh, we're done you know got to go back to boston for game seven it, it was impressive showing by the heat so the nba finals are set we come back our number three of the opening kickoff we'll kick things off with gabe gross we'll talk some auburn baseball and brandon marcello from sec spring meeting stay with us it's the opening kickoff is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. All right, 802, hour number three. Hope you and yours had a happy and safe uh, Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for uh, making us part of your day on this Tuesday edition. Uh, continue with your comments in the app at WNSP.com. But uh, I'm in the studios at WNSP. Lee's at the SEC Spring Meetings. And Lee, time to talk a little college baseball. Indeed it is, as one of the all-time greats at Auburn and a former major leaguer in his own right, and Gabe Gross, and it's so great to have him back on with us uh, to talk about uh, Auburn baseball. Gabe, thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great, guys. Appreciate y'all having me. Congratulations, by the way, uh, in not only getting to the NCAA regionals, but to getting a host. Just talk about uh, what you know about teams coming in. I think you... Um, you, you open up with uh, Pennsylvania out of the Ivy League. Uh, not many people are yep. very familiar with Pennsylvania as far as baseball goes. In fact, I wasn't even aware they had a team. I'm certainly familiar with their other programs and so forth. But uh, just the mindset when you found out who you were playing and who's coming in. Well, uh, you know, the mindset first is to, to find out as much as you can about them. Uh, most of the time in a regional, you, you're not going to know your opponents all that well, would not have played them during the regular season. Now, we did play Sanford, uh, who's a three seed uh, in the regular season, so we're, we have a little bit of familiar, familiarity, uh, excuse me, about them. But uh, Penn, uh, Penn's not a bad baseball team. They, they're, they're, they're really uh, – you know, watching them on film, I think they can they can they can pitch the ball a little bit. Uh, the guy I think we're going to face uh, on Friday night has not been announced yet. Uh, I, I thought it had really good stuff. It's uh, it was kind of a low 90s with uh, with the sinker and the balls moving all around, a short hard slider and a change up. He throws a lot of strikes and is an older kid and really knows how to pitch. And so uh, they they certainly have my attention right now. Uh, got a couple of bullpen arms that could they could come in the game and and get outs as well. So. Um, they're going to be a, a, a tough game for us right from the beginning. Uh, and then, of course, the, the, the two seed in Southern Miss has really been one of the better teams in college baseball over the last several years. Uh, had another good year. They were in the hosting conversation, uh, did not get the host, uh, and so they'll probably come in with a little extra motivation as well. So it's a, a, man, it's a tough regional, but uh, – they were all tough. I, I thought the, the committee did a great job of spreading teams around and, and putting uh, putting really every regional with a couple of really good teams in it. And it's going to be it's going to be tough to come out of it. How do you feel about the SEC getting eight host sites, ten teams in? What does that say about the league? Well, 
there's a couple factors at play. I, I know in the history of uh, keeping up with RPI and non-conference uh, opponents and different things, that uh, the SEC this year had the highest winning percentage in the history of the, I don't say the poll or whatever you want to call it, but uh, since they've been keeping it, uh, the SEC had the highest that, that, that's ever been as far as non-conference winning percentage. And so there was no doubt we were we were the, the number one conference, uh, best conference as far as any of the metrics were concerned. And, um, you know, it's tough. Uh, it's tough to go through this league. And if you do it and you manage it and you come out with a winning record, you're probably going to be in a position to host. And it turned out this year that, uh, that that was eight teams, and uh, proud for our conference uh, that we got it. Uh, proud that we got ten teams in uh, because I think they they deserved it. Obviously, you look back at last year and Ole Miss being the last team in and and winning the national championship. Uh, um, you know, this conference is full of teams that are that play really good baseball, and uh, even you know Missouri who didn't get in, we played them late, and, and Georgia certainly had enough talent to have competed in a regional as well but but didn't get the chance and and numbers wise didn't probably uh deserve to get in but uh that didn't mean that they they weren't good baseball the sec is uh, uh coach thompson says all the time is, is the highest level of amateur baseball in the world and uh it's very true gabe gross joining us former auburn great uh, former major leaguer exactly. what's special about this gabe what's special about this auburn team you know, they they just they got a lot of grit. Um, it's led by it's led by guys who are not, um, you know, I, I shouldn't say well thought of because they are now, but uh, at least haven't been like you know highly rated draft guys. Haven't been uh, given playing time on a silver platter. You look at at Bryson Ware, and you know he he played you know sparsely the first two years. Uh, couldn't hold down an everyday job, and and just kept working and, and kept believing, kept getting better, wouldn't go in the transfer portal, didn't want to transfer, wanted to stay at Auburn, and, and is rewarded now as, as Auburn's all-time single-season home run leader, hitting 350-plus with 24 home runs. Bobby Pierce, kind of the same way, struggled with injuries his first year. Uh, his second year, didn't he wasn't even on the travel list when we went to um, – and you know, when we went to Texas, our first series, and, and then by the middle of the year, he's playing every day and, and a great year. He finished last year and has come in and had another good year this year. Uh, Kaysen Howell uh, is our captain and, and been around five years. And Pro Ball hasn't really knocked on his door a whole lot. And he's just, man, he's just a grinder. He's a winner. Uh, he has led our program. And, and when it was kind of dark about a month and a half ago and not looking real great, um, man, the fire was burning bright in he and him, and he was ready to play baseball. So, to me, it's, it's a bunch of guys that uh, that are that are not prima donnas. They're they're tough. They're they're just won't back down. They're ready for a fight every time they throw out the first pitch. And, and really, our pitching staff has, has been the same way. Uh, Tommy Vale couldn't get on the mound last year at, at TCU, and um, he's out there as our Friday night guy right now. Uh, Will Cannon wasn't thought really highly of from a lot of people, and, and he's taken over our closer role. And Herbert Holtz, I hope, is healthy and going to go this weekend. We'll see. But uh, he was the same way. He got knocked around early in the year, and he just wouldn't quit. And uh, he just wouldn't quit coming and getting better. And now he's out there on the mound as a number two and a guy we really count on. Last year's team made it to the College World Series. What's it going to take? Now, obviously, in terms of wins and losses, it's going to take, you know, winning the regional and a super regional. But do you see the same type of grittiness in this team that can do it? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's a lot of baseball to be played. There's some tight games to be won. We're probably going to need a ball bounce our way a time or two, uh, and that's pretty much everybody in the country. But um, this team believes in themselves. Uh, they've, they've had their backs against the wall. They've, they've kind of hit rock bottom and had to vault themselves upward uh, from that. And uh, there's there's – you know, there's other good teams, but there's no reason that this team can't put together a little run. We played really good baseball over the uh, really last month, month and a half, and um, they believe in themselves, and, and you just got to go out there and compete. You know, look another man in the eye and make him blink, and uh, that's what this game's about. Somebody's going to stand at the plate, somebody's going to be on the mound, and somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to lose every 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 at bat. That's going to happen, and you got to go out yeah, and you got to compete the competition. That's what we're going to be trying to do. Gabe, I'm sure you're aware of the Major League Baseball rules, a whole bunch of them this year. Are there any that are currently uh, invoked this year in Major League Baseball that you'd like to see trickle down to college baseball? Uh, I can't think of all of them. The main one that I think that I hope that it doesn't get trickled down to is the base is getting larger. Uh, there's not much going on with the changes in Major League Baseball that I really love a whole lot. I don't uh, I, I don't like them a whole lot. I, you know, the pitch clock thing has been okay. It, it's changed the dynamics of, a, of multiple different strategies uh, from offensive and uh, pitching strategies with the, with the clock. Um, and I think the jury is still out for me. I, of all the things they have tried to do to shorten the game, I have – uh, not been a vocal critic, but been a pretty big critic because none of them were going to actually shorten the game. All the, the the different things they tried to do for for years just drove me crazy because it just it didn't have any effect. And the pitch clock has, uh, especially in our game. I I'm so locked into the college game, it's hard for me to to have time to watch Major League Baseball much. But I feel like it's it's affected that game as well, and and probably shortened games, which I don't know that baseball needed to be shortened. Uh, I think that. Uh, in large parts, if you're trying to appeal to, um, you know, a, a guy that loves football or basketball and wants action all the time, he's probably never going to really like baseball. And part of the appeal of baseball is a is a little bit of a slower pace, and that you can come and talk and you know, drink a beer and eat a hot dog with your buddies and laugh and joke. And if you miss an inning, it's not that big a deal. You can come back and see the next. Uh, uh, at the same time, you don't want to run into three and a half, four hour games either. So there's a, there's a little bit of a a uh, little bit of a, a, you know, a meeting in the middle point between those two. But uh, I love the game of baseball. I, for the most part, like it the way it is. And, and uh, you know, I know they're trying to figure out a few different things in Major League Baseball. But uh, I think making the bases bigger and, and banning the shift and all that, I, I think baseball is baseball. You need to leave it alone and, and let it be played. You know, Gabe, when I first started interviewing you, and it goes way back, you were a football star, and, of course, baseball was on the front. And you, I think you just answered the question, did you ever regret giving up football for baseball? Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really difficult uh, question to answer in, in quite those terms. Uh, I don't regret long-term that I, I chose baseball and had my career in that, and obviously I'm still – still in that field today and in, in coaching baseball. Uh, I, I do regret that, that I didn't uh, – I couldn't say without getting too deep into it that circumstances couldn't have been differently and and, uh, and I could have played uh, football all four years under a little bit different circumstance. I, I love the game of football, still love the game of football. Uh, it is tremendous uh, uh, team sport, uh, the physicalness of it. Uh, I, I, 
you know, I, my mom used to tell me I was lying, but, uh, you know, I told her that, you know, I loved throwing a pass, getting hit, completing it, and getting back up and basically looking at that guy like you're going to have to do, you know, you're going to have to do more than that. It's okay. You know, you can come keep hitting me. I'm going to keep standing there. Uh, and and that, that part of it, there was a, uh, such a uh, adrenaline boosted and, and uh, man, focused on, on teamwork and toughness and all those things. And uh, baseball, is too, is just in a different way. But I love football, but, uh, you know, I, I'm very fortunate I'm, I'm – in my hard to say this now, but uh, kind of in my mid 40s now, uh, for the most part, my body doesn't hurt. Um, I'm healthy. Uh, I have uh, the ability to go uh, still stand in the cage and hit around the batting practice if I want to, and and play golf or whatever without worrying about how my body's going to feel. And and I don't know if I'd have played 10 years professionally uh, in a college uh, career, uh, full college career as well in football, if that would be the case. But uh, football's a tremendous game. I love it. I wouldn't hesitate to let my kids play it. In fact, my son's going to play tackle football for the first time in seventh grade this year, and uh, he's excited about it. But uh, there's no doubt that baseball was uh, where my livelihood was going to be located. Gabe, I can't thank you enough. It's always great to catch up to you. I want to wish you and the Auburn Tigers the best in the regional. Hopefully we'll catch up to you soon, okay? I uh, appreciate you, man. Y'all have a great one. Good uh, Good news for uh, Auburn also in the basketball front, Mark, where Broom, their leading scorer and rebounder, is returning for another year. He was going through the NBA process and decided to uh, forego the draft and is coming back to Auburn, so their big guy is back. And I want to congratulate James as the winner of the Chick-fil-A. The answer was the L.A. Kings were the last professional team to bounce back from a 3-0 deficit. So, James, you're the winner of the Chick-fil-A. All right. Uh, I'm in the studios of WNSP. Lee's over there in Destin for the SEC spring meetings. And give me a quick chance to tell you guys about our good friend, Aid Marks, over at Medicare Insurance Advisors. He's been with the Medicare business or in the Medicare business for more than 13 years. He's an independent guy, works with multiple carries, and has helped hundreds of people just like you uh, in both Mobile and Baldwin counties. So what exactly is Medicare? How does it work? Well, that's what he's there to help you with, all right? It's a U.S. federal government health insurance program, right? It's for people 65 years of age or older and some people with disabilities under the age of 65. So if you're, with, if you're around that age, if you're within a year retiring, you really need to talk to them. There's plenty of information out there. Medicare has four parts, by the way. There's Part A, which is the hospital insurance, right? Part B, which is the medical insurance. Uh, part C is the Medicare Advantage plans. Um, and Part D is the prescription drug coverage. He goes over all of that with you. There's never a fee for his services. So if you're confused, maybe you're just tired of nonstop solicitation calls and you need a local agent, Aiden Marks is your guy. He's located in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. You can go see him. He can come see you. Again, never a fee for his services. Give him a call, 463-0031. That's 463-0031. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. All right, it's 816. Let's get you scoreboard traffic and weather. We'll come back. We'll take your phone call, 694-1055. You want to talk NBA Finals? The teams are set. SEC spring meetings, they get started today. Big debate now. What seemed to be a foregone conclusion with the nine-game schedule, eh, it's starting to look like it might stay at an eight-game for a while. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And, of course, Will Ferrell is now linked to the John Madden Project. Who are the best and worst fictitious coaches of all time? 
and the actors that played them. All that coming up next right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. All right, let's give this one out to the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals, the Larry Bird Trophy. And Alonzo? Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Alonzo Mourning, not exactly... uh Throwing out a whole lot of words there. He just got straight to it. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark and uh, Triple G in the studios of WNSP. Lee living it up in uh, Destin for the SEC spring meetings. Yeah, but uh, living it up. And uh, I saw well, you got some pretty nice digs yourself that you sent me that photo. You look a little lonely with that long table in there. It's like... Uh, it looks like you need some company in there, so I'll be getting back there on Friday. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Take my time. Yeah. I don't mind taking my time down here in Sandestin. Uh, it's a great place to be for sure. But, yeah, I'm very impressed with the uh, new digs, and uh, I say I'm looking forward, but really I'm not looking forward to leaving Sandestin anytime soon. I hope we'll have more information later on in the week. I don't anticipate anything in the next day or two. Mark, uh, for those who are not aware of the difference with the uh, spring meetings versus the media days, nothing's really orchestrated between the media and the coaches. The uh, men's uh, basketball coaches are here. I believe the women's coaches are here. And, of course, the football coaches are here. And normally what happens after I leave here at 9, I'll head over to the Sandestin Hotel, and they'll have this board up there, and they'll have a few coaches who will be holding impromptu news conferences with the media members, and they don't have nearly, not even close, to the number of media members, at least I hope not, that they've had when we have the media days where they boast over a 1,000. And basically, it's just very low-key. You know, they're not dressed up. They're not uh, surrounded by an entourage. You know, and, and, and it's a chance to talk to them afterwards also. And then, then later today, uh, I think uh, Greg Sankey's uh, press conference, I, either at 5 or 5.30, I think that'll fill up the auditorium because of the scheduling that's going on, the controversy over whether it's going to be nine games or eight games. Uh, you guys can jump in. 694-1055 is the number. We've spent a lot of time about eight, nine game schedule, and that will dominate the headlines couple other things that are probably going to come up the whole field storming you remember we talked about that lee in the in the days leading up to sec spring meetings uh the penalties for uh storming the field i think is something that's going to be talked about this week as well i don't i don't i don't see i don't i don't see how anything other than what they're doing now as a viable punishment for storming the field but it's going to be something they talk about lee and obviously sports gambling will be another issue on the heels of everything that went on with alabama baseball well you pretty well listed uh pretty well listed the three main things the scheduling the uh forfeiture of whatever uh you know increased penalties let's say for storming the field but even greg sankey came on so they they can't stop it i mean what are you going to do if you got if you win a a game and you beat a national power like georgia or alabama are you going to stop 80 to ninety thousand people from storming the field no it can't be done so they can increase all the penalties they want but there's really nothing 
that they can do unless they're going to put barbed wire separating the field uh, from, you know, the spectators. As far as gambling, and again, this is an issue I'm sure Greg Sankey will address. I don't, I don't know or even hear of anything that he that they can do right now except what a school can do. This falls more on the schools, as we saw with Alabama firing head coach uh, Brad Bohannon. So those are three of the main issues which he'll address. And normally when he talks to the media, Mark, he gets up and for the first 15 minutes praises the teams in the SEC. He'll make mention of Alabama and Tennessee and softball, the 10 teams in the NCAA, He'll uh, baseball. He'll, he'll pick out individual athletes who have really excelled this year, and that's when we start getting into the questions. But again, and I'll give him credit for this, he's got a knack for not saying what he really feels you know he what that what you hear behind closed doors is not what you hear publicly all right so when we come back brandon marcello he will join us here on the sports station to talk about those three issues we just laid out for you uh plenty left here on a tuesday edition continue with your comments in the app at wnsp.com see opening kickoff right here on the sports station wnsp Tuesday feels like a Monday deal, but uh, I think you guys are probably making the best of that situation. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Heim in the studios of WNSP. Lee Shervanian continues his coverage of SEC spring meetings from Destin, and uh, I think the topic of spring meetings is uh, the top topic of choice. Absolutely. Hey, Mark, uh, we're brought to you by the Urology Associates. We've got Greer's Market as one of our uh, big sponsors for this week. Spa and Tub Manufacturers, along with Chick-fil-A and uh, T. Bachelor and Son Heating and Air Conditioning. Well, Brandon Marcello, uh, National College writer for 24-7, uh, is going to join us now. He, he actually was the one that inspired me to uh, start talking about this issue because his story came out uh, that he uh, authored just a couple of days ago about the, the, let's say, the debate or the controversy because for the most part, I thought the nine-game conference schedule uh, looked to be almost a, a, a done deal. At least that's the feeling I had, but not so. Brandon, thanks for joining us on the opening kickoff. Good morning. How are you today? Doing well. Well, you opened up a number of issues. So what, as we look to today and press conferences coming up and hopefully a vote later in the week, what, what are some of the prevailing issues as you see it that would, let's say, go nine or go eight? Well, I think really the root of the issue here is money. Um, even though they, you know, SEC brass and leadership will say it's not, but it's money. Uh, the ESPN is yet to really commit to a financial figure uh, as far as how much more they're willing to pay for the additional inventory that a ninth conference game would provide. 
beginning with the 2024 season. And the reason for that is because, as you guys know, ESPN, and for that matter, a lot of media companies and streamers are hemorrhaging money right now in this financial market. And they're not so willing to commit to spending big bucks on, you know, new contracts or, for that matter, amending contracts that they've already signed uh, and entering deals that they don't quite know um, what to expect. So uh, I think that has really kind of slowed things down from that standpoint. But also, listen, there, there is legitimately about half the conference, maybe a little bit less, in the SEC that don't like the nine-game schedule because they believe it's going to hurt their – uh, postseason opportunities to be able to become bowl eligible and also, you know, potentially ripping away uh, an early or late season easy game against an FCS team or a group of five team. Plus, there's the all added headache of having to cancel or reschedule the non conference games they've already scheduled for 2024 and behind and beyond. And by my count, across the SEC, we're talking about 38 non-conference games that are already scheduled that would need to be rescheduled or completely canceled if they were to go forward with a nine-game conference schedule starting in 2024. Brandon Marcello, a national football writer, and he's had his, really his finger on the pulse of SEC football for a number of years. And do you have any feel for the way Greg Sankey feels about this? And uh, he hasn't said publicly, but privately, I'm sure he has a direction he wants to go into. Can you read into what that direction may be? Yeah, I believe it's nine games, and I believe it's been that way for quite some time. He has communicated privately with these administrators of what he, ex- what he expects from the membership, which is let's reach a decision, and let's reach a decision that is for the long term and not a short-term decision. You know, there's an idea out there and a possibility this week that they might have to enter an interim uh, decision. And by that, I mean like an eight-game rotation that they utilize for a year or two before readdressing this situation potentially again in 2025 or 2026. But he doesn't want that. He wants to get this done. And as he, he told a small group of reporters of us last night here in Destin before the meetings, you know, um, it's time to stop circling the airport, and it's time to land this airplane. They've been discussing this for the more than a year. Um, they, he was expecting a vote last year here in Destin. That did not happen. They kicked the can down the road. And here we are now, a year later, and seemingly things haven't changed. There's a pretty even split in that room about where to go. And he wants to get that done. He wants to vote, and he wants it to happen. And based off all of his comments last night, and his reasonings for uh, for things, you know, the, the diversity in scheduling, uh, how he believes, if you look through the past, and including back in 2020 when they had a 10-game conference schedule because of the pandemic, he said, listen, you know, more opportunities and games within the conference strengthens your strength of schedule. And he compared it to what we've seen with SEC baseball. Um, and listen, make no mistake, a year ago, or not a year ago, but just a couple months ago, the membership here in the SEC voted on a uh, divisionless format for baseball starting in 2024 with a rotation that in a lot of ways is very similar to what this nine-game football rotation would look like. So I, I think, you know, publicly he's hinting one that he wants the nine games, but also privately I think he's made it pretty clear that he wants more games because he believes it will strengthen the conference. And for that matter, 
is going to add extra revenue and not necessarily just from ESPN and TV, which maybe that's not directly something that would directly happen immediately because ESPN might say, hey, well, let's wait a year or two before we do this. But he says ticket revenues will go up because you're going to be charging more for an SEC game than you would an FCS game or an FBS game, and for that matter, be more likely to sell it out. So, um, listen, again, I, I didn't hear many arguments for the eight-game schedule when we sat down with him for almost an hour last night. Wow. Do you, do you think a decision will be made before they leave on Friday? I feel I, – I think it's up in the air, but I, I feel it will because I think there's been enough pressure – to get this done, and also um, he keeps saying, Greg Sankey, that we cannot make a decision based on money right now, and I take that to mean this. I think he takes that to mean of we got to make a vote and we need to do it now, even if ESPN's not ready to commit to what a financial figure is. So I, I believe that if that's being communicated and it's being communicated through the media, I can imagine it's being communicated privately when they start meeting here. In fact, they just started meeting nine minutes ago for the first time in this five-day mar- or four-day marathon meetings, um, I-, I believe that they will end up voting this week. Brandon, let me ask you this. As somebody who's been involved with the SEC for a number of years, which direction would you like to see them go? I mean, as a fan and a reporter just loving football, I want to see the nine-game schedule. Um, you know, several Power Five conferences already have the nine-game schedule. Um, the Pac-12, Big 12, the Big 10 – um, it's more competitive football. Who wants to sit there in mid-November, or early November, and watch Alabama or whoever beat up on Western Carolina? I don't, I don't care about those games. I don't. I just don't. No one does. And look at the viewership for that. Um, this, if there's an argument out there about player safety and player health, I don't buy it because, again, we have seen nine-game schedules across the Power Five for years now and not in the SEC, and in 2020, we played a SEC-only schedule back then. Um, I, I, I think it's time to move forward. I think it's time for them to do the nine games. Money or not, I think it's what's best for the SEC, and for that matter, I, I believe it's what's best for, for college football. We want better games, and, and enough, of the, enough of these blowouts against opponents that are completely outmatched. Brandon Marcello joining us on the opening kickoff with his thoughts on perhaps a nine-game schedule, which is a main topic of conversation at the SEC spring meetings here in Sandestin. And, and, and Brandon, of course, has followed SEC football for a number of years. Now he's the national college football writer for 24-7. Um, as we again – so they'll – the vote, though, you know, today the coaches are in town. I, I, I know they're in town. So the vote, though, has to come with the, um, the administrators, the presidents or chancellors. What kind of a vote is needed to get this through? What, what has to be the vote total? Yeah, so it needs to be a simple majority. So eight votes against six would be the, the bare minimum. If there was a tie of 7-7, seven, seven, Someone would need to reintroduce the proposal um, and have another vote uh, if that was the case, because the vote would fail at 7-7. Um, the commissioner cannot come in and break the tie, so to speak. That's not his job, and that's not his, his role in all of this. So um, if they were to vote and they wanted to get a decision, they would need to vote and re-vote and re-vote until everybody 
figures out what they want and they get a, a simple majority. And, you know, the SEC typically, traditionally, always loves to have a uh, uh, unanimous vote. Uh, but that that doesn't happen every time. In fact, there's been proposals in the past year that haven't dealt with scheduling that have been 8-6, and there have been lively discussions, but they made a vote, and it was 8-6, and they got it through. I think that at some point the SEC is just going to have to, to swallow the fire and, and, and get this thing figured out. If they went to nine games, would there be divisions? How would they break that down? No divisions, uh, no matter the model. They're getting rid of divisions. It's been very clear for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, the nine-game model will be a 3-6 rotation, which is three permanent rivals and then six rotating opponents. Um, and then the eight-game model is one permanent rival with uh, seven rotating opponents. So, um, you know, right now as it stands, if you were to do the eight-game model, you would not see games like Alabama-Tennessee every year, or for that matter, Texas and Texas A&M every year. It'd be every other year. With the three-game uh, permanent rivals in the nine-game model, you would get those games assured. You would get Auburn-Georgia. You would get Florida-Tennessee uh, and Texas-Texas A&M every single year, uh, which is yet another, you know, another thing to hammer home, I guess, for a lot of people clamoring for again rivalry games we call them secondary rivalry games for a lot of people they they're just as important as the the bigger rivalry games especially texas texas a&m we've been waiting a dozen years for them to play since a&m left the big 12 and now we're talking about hey texas is going to join but uh you're not gonna play a&m every year it just seems ludicrous at uh, at face value what other issues do you see happening this week or at least sankey addressing well, I actually was looking at some legislative proposals here today. I mean, it's some things that would just bore, like, the common fan. Lots of talk about transfer portal stuff. I think the biggest issue that's going to come up here, though, is going to be discussing NIL, uh, how laws are obviously differing from state to state. You know, Greg Sankey spent some time speaking with us last night about how, you know, <clears throat> Congress may or may not make some legislation itself here in the next few years, but, man, it, it's been it's so difficult to push anything through Washington to get national legislation on NIL seems next to impossible. And he mentioned that the possibility of maybe they need to start doing some work here, and they have been doing the work here, but pushing forward with trying to figure out um, something to kind of get the 12 states in the SEC footprint to have legislation that's, very similar across the board because, goodness, the, the legislation state to state is very different inside the SEC footprint. And some of it's disturbing, uh, is what Greg Sankey told us. Uh, some of the things just absolutely uh, baffle him uh, as, as someone who's got a law background like himself. So um, I think that's going to be a huge, huge topic here this week as well. What about uh, additional penalties when fans storm the field? Could this come up this week? Yeah, that will certainly be a discussion point here. And, you know, uh, the, the, you know, I think that how do you go about trying to enforce that? I think the, the bigger issue that with that, though, is how do you really solidify and provide more safety measures for fans? Because, you know, that's the issue. Um, not just for fans, I should say, but for players and coaches and staff. These fans rush the field. I mean, every time that happens, practically every time, someone gets hurt. I mean, I was at a Big 12 game a couple of years ago, a rivalry game. 
fans storm the field, and I watch people breaking legs and hurting themselves, and I watched a head coach be interviewed by ESPN right after the game in a tunnel just mere feet away from a lady on the ground with what I assumed was a broken leg or something, screaming in pain and getting looked at by a, a nurse or a doctor of some sort there on the field in the, in the hallway where they were kind of pulling people that were injured into that tunnel. Uh, it, it's a crazy scene. And as much as I believe that celebrations and storming the field and court is very much a part of the DNA of college sports, uh, safety measures are huge. That uh, they, they, those need to be addressed. But also, how do you go about enforcing that in the SEC? And what kind of financial penalties do you, for, you know, start levying? I mean, we've seen what they've done already, and we're talking about penalties as much as half a million dollars, and that just doesn't seem to really get the point across. So, what else is there to do there? Uh, I'm interested to hear what kind of ideas administrators have this week. Help me out, because I'll be coming over to the hotel in just a few minutes from where I'm located. Have they already uh, posted coaches who are going to talk to the media today? Yes. In fact, uh, Lee, I'm going to tell you, it's uh, packed today. We are literally in that room from 10.15 this morning till about 1 p.m. this afternoon. It's one coach after the other, no breaks. There's like eight guys talking today. Hey, I've never hey, seen anything like it here at spring meeting. Thank you. I'll see you in a few minutes. Appreciate it, friend. All right. <laughs> Brandon Marcello with some inside information for me. And really appreciate him taking time out as uh, he was one of the reporters who got to Greg Sankey yesterday, Mark. All right. So it's 847. So let's take our final break of the day. We'll come back and uh, close up shop. We'll give you a sneak peek into tomorrow and set the table for the rest of the day here on a Tuesday edition of the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee and, of course, Triple G right here on the sports station WNSP. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Thanks for hanging with us today on the opening kickoff. Mark and Triple G from the studios of WNSP and Lee Shervanian living it up in Destin for the SEC spring meetings. And a big thank you to Rich's Car Wash, 30 locations in the greater Mobile area. One of our sponsors this week, Dixie Supply, Keesler Federal Credit Union, and the Cart Doctor. Mark, it sounds like my day is pretty well filled up today from what Brandon said. <laughs> it's no breaks from 10 to 115, one coach after another. That's the way I like it. Yeah, you know, the other thing uh, I've been wondering about is at what point, we, we've talked about this over the last couple of years, so at what point does the SEC spring meetings essentially take on or adopt kind of the same policies as the SEC media days. There's so many people that are starting. More and more media folks are showing up to Destin every year. These guys are making a point to make more formal announcements and have formal Q&As. It just seems like it's only a matter of time, Lee, as much as I'm, I'm assuming you don't want to see it happen, that it's just going to become an extension or a different version of SEC media days. 
Well, when I join you tomorrow, I'll have a better idea of what's today, okay? Uh, let me just say this. I don't see any break in their policy right now. For one thing, they don't allow any broadcasting on site. In other words, I can't be there broadcasting. Oh, that'd be terrific. I mean, can you imagine uh, doing the show there and all of a sudden a coach comes by and I reach out and say, hey, can you say a few words? They don't allow that. You could you could be in your hotel room at the Sandestin and broadcast your show, but not on the premises. The only one who really gets access to that is, is Paul Feinbaum, who, by the way, Mark's going to join us on Friday after all is pretty well said and done. But uh, I don't see them going in that direction. Um, pretty much the, the, the people down here, and of course, they, they you, you have to, it's not like you have to be invited. You can and apply, and then, of course, they'll dictate. You know, I don't think they want a big crowd down here. I really don't. I never got that impression. They don't want it to be the circus atmosphere, as in Nashville, where everything is orchestrated and you have times and slots and and everybody knows where they're going here it's very informal and and the gist of this is to basically just meet behind closed doors and uh coaches air their gripes uh the administrators air their gripes everybody has and they don't they don't really want that out there the only time you really get a chance to talk to a coach is like today when they'll be impromptu and i mean impromptu i mean you got they're not in coat and tie they come in there and they you know dress like we are and they'll talk for a few minutes and i don't think a lot of it's on x's and o's and who's going to be your starting center i think a lot of it's on the issues we just talked about mark but personally you're right i wouldn't want to see it happen because you know i i that 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 that, you know the fcc media days is just too extensive now anybody and anybody can go and i don't think they this is going to happen uh at this at least for a while uh, you guys, we have a couple minutes if you want to jump in at 694-1055. That's the number. Spent a lot of time on uh, SEC spring meetings, and we will continue to do so, especially tomorrow. There will be a ton of content on our show uh, about that. But we also talked about the NBA. Uh, the NBA finals are now set. The uh, The field for the NCAA baseball is set. Um, and also, John Madden, the movie, Will Ferrell as John Madden. Can you get your head wrapped around that? We've talked about the the best and worst fictitious coaches uh, in movies, and you guys have responded well to those to to um, and, and and you're casting your votes on those. So uh, it's been a fun show today, Lee. The question is, um, what are you doing in your off time? Although it sounds like you're not going to have a whole lot of off time. Did 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 Miss Barber make the trip with you? Yes. Ah, all right. Good for you. Now I have to check this out. I'm not. I, I haven't seen the itinerary yet, um, but usually they have a, a get-together by the uh, beach at the Sandest, and I, I assume that's on tonight, but I won't know until I get there today. And if, if in fact, I'm even invited uh, in the past, I have been, and, and I assume anybody down here uh, is invited. It becomes a big extravaganza with food, drink, things like that. So I'm hoping they have that. But that's not until after the commissioner speaks. So it's going to be kind of a full day. There'll be a break, I guess, after 1.30. Maybe get back here, jump into my hot tub. You know, it's a very hot tub, let me tell you. It's one of the hottest I've ever been in. <laughs> okay. I know you like that. So uh, it'll, it'll give me the only downtime. But the main thing today is for me to record some interviews and get him back to our Nick back in the studio so they can be uh, heard this afternoon and on tomorrow's show. That's that's on my shoulders today. Ooh, it's a yes. battle of wits. Shervanian versus the iPhone technology war. I like it. 
It, the pressure's on. By the way, for tomorrow, we always have Chris Stewart on Wednesday. Uh, Richie Riley uh, will join us tomorrow, Mark, and we'll see if we can round up somebody from here tomorrow that wants to go on early. <laughs> and I'm not, counting, I'm not counting on it, but I'll, we'll try. All right. Well, nice work so far, sir. It should be a lot of fun. As, as we mentioned, uh, eight versus nine game conference schedule, uh, storming the field, and uh, who knows what other goodies will will pop up throughout the course of today. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. Which coach are you looking forward to most hearing uh, from? Hugh Freeze. Ah, okay. Hugh Freeze. It's been a long time since I've heard from him. I was here many years ago, and that was right before everything came down on him at Old Miss. Um, and, of course, I really – it's it's not like I said. They're not going to go through their – the roster i think each of them this is what i want to keep tabs on is how they feel about the eight or the nine game schedule okay now they may say something different than they do behind closed doors and i understand some of these some of these uh closed door sessions get pretty heated but i want to hear and again not every coach is going to be speaking to us but i'd like to hear how they feel about uh, the nine or the eight game schedule and, and keep tabs on that all right uh Again, at some point throughout the course of this week or next, I think we still owe the uh, final drive a butt whipping in uh, pickleball. We need to get that done. Uh, we have been challenged by the prep spotlight to a game of basketball. We got to get that done. But also, hopefully not too far in the future, we will post on social media the revamped studio it's not quite done yet but it's looking pretty good so be following us on facebook on twitter at 105.5 wnsp and of course uh, check us out on instagram as well and you'll get a sneak peek as to what our studio looks like now a lot of great stuff today on the show uh thanks to nick behind the glass and of course to lee out there at destin that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff we'll be back tomorrow at 6 a.m until then see ya